Rock, it's on fire, look! is over but we have to go back down the hatch it's the lost rewatch podcast here on post show recap so everybody i'm josh wiggler i'm joined here by mike bloom and mike if lost dot 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 in translation isn't the most difficult to google episode of lost ever i don't know what is all that shows up bill murray and scar joe that's what you get you just get the movie every single time i am this one <laughs> Is that you agreeing with me in Korean? No, that means, ouch, my hands. Uh, yeah, well, I'm glad that you got that, too. I, I, I feel like we heard that a lot, maybe in the subtitles that were not <laughs> subtitles of this. But yeah, uh, much like, you know, so secrets, hard. <laughs> secrets exist throughout the marriage of the Quans. So is the secret of what did ScarJo? Yeah, what are the what are the whispers? What are the whispers in the Lost in Translation universe? Maybe it's all Bill Murray, just as various characters over the course of his career. That maybe Lindelof was just such a big Murray fan that he wanted to put him in there as much as possible. Well, he was, you know, uh, Doctor Peter Venkman, a Ghostbuster. It would only make sense that he would be associated with ghosts on the island with his Lost in Translation whisper. I feel like uh, many people right now are lost in translation as we are hyping (laughs) up. Dot, 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 in translation. Uh, this very uh, sultry title here for episode 17 of Lost. It's not very sultry. You just made it sultry. I dot, like you can make, dot, it, yeah, you can make any title sultry. Like, ooh, uh, expose. No, I like that. I like, I like how you just did that. Ooh, in translation. That's yeah, how I to, want to say it now. Okay, maybe every time there's an ellipsis before an episode, it's an ooh is yeah. sort of implied. Ooh, in translation. But here ooh, we are. and found. <laughs> yes, yes, I can't wait. Oh my God, Mike, you and I uh, are at the, the beginning of the end of season one for ourselves as far as the recording as we announced on our most recent Down the Hatch podcast. Mike and I are binge recording the remaining of season one in order to make sure we do not miss a single week as I've got vacation looming. I shall be going to Japan uh, for the end of 2019 through the first couple of weeks of 2020. I'm not bringing my computer. It's not happening. I'm not going to push the button. 
I'm going to be unplugged. So we want to make sure that we've got everything lined up before I go, uh, which means by the time you out there are listening to this podcast, Mike and I have already recorded through Do No Harm. Uh, we are we are really in it right now. Um, so even though that episode is yeah, not going to hit... Can we, can we also go ask, like, hey, guys, when this episode comes out, can you, like, check in on us? <laughs> just wonder if we're doing harm to ourselves. We might not be doing so great. It's, it's hard to know at this stage. Uh, we're at the start of a week where we're going to be doing a lot of lost podcasting uh i've watched through do no harm already so i'm prepared i've got all my notes and everything and it was a delight to do the watching and the note taking uh but we're going to be talking about what like 12 hours of lost podcasting by the end of this week and then we're going to do like at least another 12 hours the following week uh because we're doing two weeks of this in a row uh and the schedule for that because you can still send in feedback for next week's batch of recording which makes no sense in the time travel sense of the world yeah we're uh, not even words. to season five yet josh we're already confusing people with we're that. already doing time travel that we are still at this point that you are listening to this on the friday that this podcast is coming out uh we are going to be recording our podcast about the greater good on december 9th our podcast about born to run on december 10th our podcast about exodus part one on december 11th and mike and i are also still figuring out exactly when we are going to record exodus two and three but it looks like it'll either be next week or the week after so you've got some time for your feedback for the second uh the two-part uh second half of exodus uh send all of that in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com to make sure your feedback is making it into the other section uh but as far as Ooh, in translation, through do no harm, ooh, no harm. Uh, that feedback is already locked and loaded. So do not bother. If you would like to send feedback for those episodes, we are going to do a big season one wrap up show once we're through Exodus uh, to recalibrate ourselves before we head into season two. Uh, so all of that feedback yeah. will be read there. You do you do have time, though, to get it in for the greater good. <laughs> the greater good. Um, Mike, uh, we have other business to attend to today. We're going to be announcing the winner of the Lindelof Volume 1, our first ever lost song parody competition. Somebody is walking away with a Wombat Station hat. By the end of this podcast, we will announce that at the very end. Very exciting times here on Down the Hatch. Absolutely. And should it be honored by Hurley putting a CD into his Discman <laughs> on the last life of its batteries and it played right. that one song? I think it's only fitting that uh, the uh, the final... Uh, the that the, the, the results of the first ever Lindelof are revealed in the episode where Hurley's Discman goes silent. We will carry the music forward for you, Mr. Reyes. Hey, pretty good battery life. I know I don't want to skip too far to the end, but like it lasted, what, like a month on yeah, the island? For 2004 well. battery standards as an avid Game Boy Advance player back in the day, that's pretty damn good. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I just changed the batteries on my mouse the other week, and they already died by this morning. So I need really? to get some new batteries myself. Yeah, I feel like batteries nowadays are just, I don't know if it's a, they've stumbled upon a lithium mine or something, but it seems like they're of much greater power supply. So I could see why Hurley would be able to like run a disc manor. I guess it would be his iPhone in 2019 lost throughout the entirety of the series. But here I really commend that his, his good old uh, Walkman Discman was able to make it through. 17 episodes of Lost. Yeah, the good news is next uh, episode, next week's episode on the podcast, Hurley will be in pursuit of some battery power. Uh, but for whatever reason, it doesn't seem like he's going to apply it to his Discman. Uh, but we can uh, we can save our critiques of the battery quest for next week. For this week, Mike, we go forth into the jungle to discuss 
Ooh, translation. Uh, directed. Oh, no, you just eliminated the in. Now it's just now it's like Homer Simpson. <laughs> ooh, ooh, in translation. Sorry, I will try to remember the in, which is for Jin Kwan, uh, the centric star here of ooh in translation. Uh, and it has been pointed out to us by a few different people, and I, I hadn't really thought about it, but it, it definitely tracks the more that I think about it. This is the only episode of Lost that is solely a Jinsu Kwan flashback. He is involved in other flashback episodes, typically paired with Sun, uh, but this is the only one where it's just his perspective and Sun doesn't get a say. Uh, that's interesting. I had, I'd really not put that together until uh, until we started preparing for this one. Yeah, and I'm not entirely sure how I feel about it. I mean, I love Jin and Sun as characters, but Jin is a character that has always interested me in so many ways, specifically his own. We talked about the arc of Sawyer last week. He has his own sort of arc, during his time on the island. I guess maybe Sun gets out on a lead over him, partially because she's part of the Oceanic Six and she sort of has her own action, you know, her own driving forces that she'll have with her father, who we're introduced to in this episode. Maybe the writers just did not find uh, any other interesting items from Jin. You know, Jin was not the one having the affair with his English tutor. Uh, Jin was not the one who had the megalomaniacal father to, uh, to grapple with behind the scenes. But... Yeah, it is interesting looking at the spectrum of things of how, yes, there's a lot of Jin in the Sun flashbacks, but uh, if you're divvying up the Quan pie chart, uh, she's getting most of that filling and Jin's left with the crumbs. Yeah, well, crumbs can be good if it's a good crust. Yeah, I suppose so. I don't know. The la- I feel like the Quans are more of a lattice team, you know, like they their stories weave in and out of one another like some nice pastry. Yeah. All right. So this episode, uh, dot, 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 ooh, in translation. <laughs> I got to really keep some, uh, I got to be able to maintain that. Very hard to, to say the title. Uh, Compass says directed by Tucker Gates. It is co-written by Javier Griot Mark Swatch, who we quote a lot here on Down the Hatch. Also co-written by Leonard Dick, who writes a lot of Lost uh, in the first season and the second season. I believe this is his first episode of Lost, but he's going to be with Lost uh, through the Bernard and Rose flashback in season two. Two. Uh, it originally aired February 23rd, 2005. Uh, and even though this is the first Jin flashback, we actually already read the Jin series Bible entry back in the day for House of the Rising Sun, which means we get to, to add a new entry to the Down the Hatch series Bible. This coming our way, courtesy of the Ben behind the curtain. And uh, this is a Down the Hatch series Bible written about Mr. Paik, uh, son's father. Uh, if you are ready for me to read this one to you. I'm very intrigued to see what this man's backstory is to make him behave the way he does. Okay, this is uh, the the Down the Hatch series Bible entry on Mr. Paik, which means it is uh, at least a little bit wrong. Uh, this is what it says. One of the wealthiest men in all of South Korea, Paik Woo-jung is the father of Sun Kwan. Paik is a businessman! who isn't afraid to use any tactic to get what he wants, including buying off government ministers, commencing hostile takeovers, and using his own son-in-law, Jin, to carry out his dirty work, all in the name of staying ahead of his greatest competitor, the Whitmore Corporation! Obviously, that last part is not real. Uh, there's, yeah. there's no real connection uh, between Pike Industries and the Whitmore's. Uh, that I can remember and certainly feels like one of Lost's biggest missed opportunities. Yeah, I, I think there have been like some rumors and obviously the fans have been trying to connect the dots, but I don't think the writers had outright presented us with those dots to connect. I mean, you just hope with those it's like... Ooze. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, you just hope that, I mean, it's very much in line, Josh, with like a very deus group mentality from Mr. Robot, right? Of like, oh, you have this powerful businessman in Charles Winmore. You have this powerful businessman in Mr. Paik. You think they'd at least be aware of one another or would work together or against each other in some way, shape, or form. I think, you know, we're, we're fond of headcanon here on Down the Hatch. Maybe we can make it personally a thing, but yeah, it was never outright mentioned uh, by the show itself to have those two uh, big business heads, butt heads. There's very little that I regret about Lost in terms of the way the story is conveyed. I'm, I'm, As I've said many times here on Down the Hatch, my most recent rewatch of Lost, it just made me love this show even more. Um, so there's, there's not a lot here that I'm really, that I'm ever really going to like, truly complain about um but i do think if there's something that was just like left on the table that could have been really compelling to explore i think connecting pake to widmore connecting pake closer to the island i think that that could have been pretty powerful stuff uh especially with you know we we know the mystery of like which kwan is the candidate to rule the island uh i think just like to tie that mythology closer to the island mythology could have been fun it doesn't really happen we can do our head canon thing uh all about that here as we're going through down the hatch if we see those opportunities but we're gonna go we're gonna talk about ooh in translation and mike ooh i like this episode so much more than i remember enjoying it uh coming into this one uh this is of the four episodes of lost that i've watched this past week this one through do no harm i think that i would rank this one last uh but really uh almost hard to pick and it's just kind of last by default this is a great episode of lost yeah i i mean listen uh, I'm not going to quibble with you in any way. I, I'll still double down with what I said last week in that I really love the flashback and I love them choosing how to do the flashback where we are sort of trotting over old territory, but it's in a way that makes it look completely new through different eyes. You know, the Odd Island stuff is very interesting, especially since now we're really focusing on the raft of it all. Uh, and that's obviously going to be like the biggest piece of concern right through the end of the season. Uh, but I agree. I mean, we're about to get into some really awesome loss. As much as we had said that, yeah, maybe the first part of 2005 in Lost is not necessarily great. I feel like Outlaw sort of helped kickstart uh, a brand new step up for the show where, yeah, even if this one is not an all timer, it's still pretty darn solid. Really, really good. Really solid episode. Let's talk about it. Uh, we're going to give our summary of the episode with the assistance of eight sounds. And we just don't say it enough. So let's say it again. We open on an I, because, ooh, of course, we open on an eye, and it's Jin's eye, and he's staring out at the ocean, and he is all alone, and we're, we're just lingering on that for just a little while before we dig in deeper, and we get into our flashback, and it's Jin with the aforementioned Mr. Pike, uh, and it is a very awkward conversation indeed. Yeah, so it's really interesting, you know, trying to essentially, much like that Pilatus, weaving the events of House of the Rising Sun in with dot, dot, dot in translation. So our assumption is this is after, you know, Jin and Sun sort of had their little, uh, hey, I'm just a waiter at a party. Oh, no, I'm actually your secret lover moment. And he has gone to Paik and essentially asked for his daughter's hand in marriage. Uh, so that's sort of where we're sort of putting things 
in the timeline. But yeah, this is our first look at Mr. Pake and Josh. He is an a-hole, a he's pake hole. Su- he is such a jerk, this guy. He is, you know, he's really the the the, the total opposite of another father that we are going to get in this episode, who uh we'll gush about him when we get when we get there, but uh can't gush about him enough considering we're not gonna see nearly enough of him. Jin's father is glorious. Jin's father Best father on Lost, he's the best. He's- I'll, I'll, I'll counter not only that, best human on Lost, or at least like in contention to get like the to become like an angel investor in Down the Hatch. He's very much. Uh, well, I don't know how much he's going to be able to invest in Down the Hatch. Lots but of fish. If lots of fish will be fed very comfortably. It's going to be great. Uh, yeah, definitely a top contender for best daddy uh, on Lost is. Listen, is that's Jin's a low head. bar to clear. Low bar to clear. Mister Pake is certainly not clearing it. He's going to bash his head on the bar, but he's not even really going to try and clear it. Uh, He's going to tell Jin, uh, why would you marry my, why do you want to marry my daughter? And Jin. And, and he doesn't even look up at him. That's crazy. The very first line we hear from Mr. Paik, he is not even taking the time to look this guy who's supplanting himself in front of him in the eye. And in turn, you see that Jin, like, just keeps his head bowed uh, for yes. the most part of his first line as well, which again, one of the things that I really love about the Jin and Sun flashback, and it sort of ties into the Saeed flashbacks as well, is that Lost really makes a thesis statement about how, you know, you make assumptions uh, occupationally or based on people's images that might not necessarily be what you expect. And what I feel like is so great to hear from the Quan's perspective and Saeed's perspective are that there are also cultural images uh, that we might not uh, initially expect from certain characters that have been defied in some way, shape, or form. And this is just a great reminder of, you know, the Korean culture that, that can exist, this idea of honor, the idea of, you know, the father sort of being the, the head of the family, even in 2004, when a lot has happened and we're sort of in more modern times. And we see it here where Jin essentially has to go through Paik about everything, which is going to really lead him down a really dark, deep rabbit hole. He's going to ask Jin, what does your father think about this? I hear he's the best. Uh, and Jin says, oh, my dad's dead. Uh, he's not. He's alive. He's thriving. Uh, and Mr. Paik is questioning Jin's ambition. Jin says, no, I'm ambitious. I want to open a restaurant. Uh, I'm going to open my own hotel one day. Uh, but Mr. Paik kind of like gets him in like a, a catch-22 where he's like, all right, well, you would do anything for my daughter. Does that mean you would work for me? And Jin's like, yeah, totally. And then Mr. Paik's like, yeah, ah, 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 ah. You, you fell for it. Why would I? Why would I give my daughter away to a man who sells his dreams so easily? And here comes Jin Su Kwan with the answer. Very quickly, he replies, "Because she is my dream, sir." And Ooh. woo! Listen, Jin may not be the best daddy. I know that there is. <laughs> <laughs> there are some questions about that, uh, but wow, what a romantic, what a great line, because she is my dream, sir. And Mr. Paik, for, for all of like his cold-hearted energy, even he stands up, he's like, wow, that was good. That was really good. And he stands up and he, sh- he shakes Jin's hand. He's, he's all the way in on the, on the Jin Suquan of it all now. And you also see the smile on Jin's face. Clearly, he's like, I broke through that cold, hard exterior. Like, yes. I finally have permission to capitalize on my dream. But he has no idea what he got himself into. And the effect it's not going to have on him, but his dream as well in the form of sun. Yeah, maybe at this point, Mr. Paik recognizes that Jin, uh, he's like, That's a, this guy's a heartbreaker. 
he might literally be able to break some hearts for me if I hire him. Let's let's do this. This is oh, great. interesting. Yeah, because yeah. I uh, I'll have some thoughts about that, but it'll uh, it'll we'll save it for later okay. on in the flashback. All right, so let's get back to the island. We're gonna pull in our first sound just to set the scene. We're going back to Jin. He's on the beach. Basically, everybody's on the beach. Uh, Sun is on the beach, and Sun is like in a in a two piece bathing suit, and she's about to go swimming. And Jin doesn't like it, and he's gonna he's gonna let her know that, and everybody is going to be informed as well. And then Michael is going to try and do something about it, and that's not gonna go great. Hey, what are you doing? Are you you think we should do something? What should we do? What's going on? I don't know. He just walked up and started going off on her again. Hey. Smash. Yeah, no, no metallic clang, so I guess Saeed has not uh, taken Sun <laughs> to his personal gym yet to learn about that. It still sounds, you know, it sounds like it smarts. Uh, well, that's, that's Sun smacking Michael in the face for trying to interfere with the domestic dispute. And it's so interesting because if you think about the timing as well, like there is a pregnant pause where the soon-to-be pregnant woman does slap Michael. And the look that she gives Michael is very much like not a look of hurt, but a look of warning to him as to be like, stay away from this. I know what I'm doing. Stop trying to butt in. And I do wonder, Josh... Michael does a lot of questionable things in this episode. Uh, for all the stuff we, all the high praise we gave to Michael Dawson as a tragic character a few episodes back, not the best light for Michael this episode, not the best firelight for him as well. Why do you think he decides to step in here, especially when the very last time he really talked to Jin was, "Hey, you stay away from me and my son." Yeah, I mean, I don't think that it's a top-to-bottom failure for Michael in this episode. Like, I I understand where he's coming from here, where, like, he knows Sun's secret. He knows that Sun speaks English. He knows that she speaks English, and Jin doesn't know it because there's obviously something not great in that marriage. And I think he sees her acting the way that he's acting. Michael probably has some sort of feelings for Sun at this stage of the development of the show. So he's stepping in. He's trying to do something right. He's very triggered by Jin at this point. Uh, And then he just realizes is like oh yeah I, this is not my thing like i should not be involved in this at all uh but i also to to defend michael a little bit i think that he has a great moment with his son later on in the episode uh, oh not, i agree not I, just, I just think maybe the uh, wild goose chase of it all <laughs> could have sort of negates all that yeah maybe maybe a little bit uh <laughs> some of it is not so great um, but I, I think that that's what's going on with Michael as it relates to Sun. And certainly Sun, in a, in a little while, will explain uh, why she did what she did to Michael. But we go from, from that scene. We go from the slap. We go to the caves. Jin is with Sun, uh, and she wants to know, he wants to know what's going on with Michael. And she insists nothing is going on. Uh, and nothing will go on. So, you know, ultimately so- she's right. I'm trying to remember. Obviously, like I mentioned before, we're going to have this storyline later on where Sun uh, has an affair with her English tutor and Paik finds out about it, sends Jin to, you know, deal with him. He sort of does his Jin, like, 
not nonviolent method, but sort of doing everything but outright kill him causes the guy to kill himself because he thinks that Jin's the uh, the angry husband. Do, do we remember? Does Jin know about that? Because if he does, I could also see his feelings here of like, hey, she has you know had feelings for other men once before. What's the chance of me being cuckolded once more? Yeah, um, I don't, I don't know. I think that he. I don't think that he knows. I don't think that he has any sense of it. Um, I know that he's he's going to go to to the person uh, whose name I'm forgetting. I think it's um, uh, J, J, Jai. J-A-E is the first name, but I can't Jai, remember. Yeah. Yeah. I, think, I think that he's going to go to him for reasons that aren't, uh, that are related to the affair, but he doesn't realize that. I think that right. he's only, just going to... Only Paik does. Right, right, right. Uh, so I don't think that he knows that. So I don't know that he knows to suspect her of something with Michael necessarily, other than like... Clearly, he's got eyes and a brain, and he can, <laughs> he can sense that they are definitely, uh, you know, they've definitely had um, interactions together. Right, like he, he doesn't know their language, but he knows body language. Exactly, exactly. Jen's very good with that. Uh, speaking of body language, let's ooh. do another flashback. Ooh. It's the, it's, the, it's the wedding day. Uh, ooh, the wedding day. Uh, as Jen is going to show up and... Uh, she wishes that his father had lived to see this. And Jin says, I'm sure wherever he is, he's proud of me. Uh, and not she, untrue. Not untrue. And she wants Jin to button her up. And instead, he kisses her shoulder and says, do I have to? To which I say, ooh, la la. Uh, this is a very, very nice moment between Jin and Sun. And especially considering that the very first thing we saw Jin do in the pilot was like tell Sun, button up. You know, like, make sure you're completely covered from head to toe. Right. And here is very much the opposite. I think it just really shows the discrepancy between, you know, the comfort he feels with Sun in his private life in that portion of time versus in a very alien situation like this. And also when their relationship is at an all-time state of tension that she wa- he wants her, you know, as covered up as possible in front of everybody else, whereas... Maybe behind the curtains, he has a sort of a different sentimentality. It's really nice to see them on their wedding day like this, because up to this point, it's been so tense between Jin and Sun. And that's mostly going to be the color that we're that we're painting with when it comes to these characters for a little while. Um, and every moment of of sentimentality between the Quans is, is enjoyable, but especially at this stage where we just haven't gotten a lot of it. I really loved seeing the scene of the two of them yeah. on their on their wedding day. Though I, I have to say, like, so, so Jin's going to tell her, like, okay, so there's no honeymoon. I got to work for your dad. I got to go through management training. I got to become Mr. Manager, uh, just manager. Uh, I've got six months of that. And then once that's done, we're going to go on the honeymoon. And in the meantime, here's a flower uh, from your own bouquet. And this will suffice. It's like, Jin, look, man, like I know that the flower thing is kind of your thing, but like you can't just pluck a flower from her own bouquet and expect to score points. I don't know. I, I think it's sweet. I think it's a nice... It's gotta be a different bouquet, no? Like, I mean, What's he's not gonna go run out into the bushes like, hold on, let me clip you something. What if she's uh, like, oh, you ruined my bouquet, man? Like, ah. I don't think Sun cares at yeah. this point. Uh, I, I think it's more so, it's not really a gesture as much as it is like a representation to her of like, hey, you know, this is who I am. You know, I'm I'm here quite literally and in the form of, you know, what you're gonna carry down the aisle and what we're gonna you know, leave down the aisle carrying and hopefully throw to the next person. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm always going to be here for you no matter what, even if I am away for six months, even if our marriage does become loveless at a certain point. And I think that's a, another really interesting reason why he ends up presenting the flower when they're at the 815 counter is him just sort of setting that reminder of like, yes, we've been through a lot, but I'm still that guy that did give you that white orchid 
you know, all the way back in the day when we were standing on that bridge together uh, after that party. It's just like, I, I think it's just a nice touchstone, uh, you know, a symbol of their love through these times, through the ups and downs. All right. Well, let's go back to the island. Uh, let's go back to Sun and Michael. Let's go back to a sound, Michael Bloom, uh, as we are going to hear Sun explain why she smacked Michael and what that was all about. Michael? I'm sorry. Don't worry. I stuck my nose where it didn't belong. It's on me. You must understand Look, All that I understand is that I gotta get this raft finished so I can get my boy out of here and take him home. When I slapped you, I was protecting you. Oh yeah? From what? From Jim. You don't know what he's capable of. It's not my problem. It's yours. Yeah. You don't know what he's capable of. He'll beat the crap out of a guy and and do that to save his life. And come home and I'm gonna be mad at him. It is interesting. But I how- just didn't see I didn't stick around in the bathroom long enough to know he was gonna cry. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting in that what she's saying about Jin is sort of like I feel like if Jin and Son had a conversation, he would say that about Paik too, of like, hey, I'm protecting you from your father. You don't know what he's You don't know of. what he's capable of. So yep, it's like a exactly. chain of, of protectors. Uh and this episode particularly deals a lot with the theme of miscommunication, obviously quite literally with the language barrier, but also even between characters like Jin and Son in terms of uh, you know, what they sort of keep hidden from one another. On the note of Michael, going back to him for a second, like he really doubles down of like, look, I stuck my nose where it didn't belong. All that matters to me right now is building this raft to get us off the island. Do you think this incident like at all made him double down on this? Or do you think it was just, hey, let me get back to this. It's like it was- cold water, though. Cold water, right? Cold water on the whole thing. Yeah, Much like no- they, they were going to wa- want to try and uh, throw on the raft before uh, it burns up. I think it's cold water on whatever's going on with the sun. Yeah, and I, well, I think that's, I mean, if we're going along with your theory of like, hey, maybe Michael does have some, some embers in that, you know, slightly doused fire towards sun. The fact that she rebuffed him so much in that moment would make him be like, well, there's absolutely nothing for here for me now. Any possible inclination is completely gone. Let me work on this raft ASAP. Yeah, I think I think so. I think it's like, yep, yeah, this is not great. I got to get out of here with Walt. This place is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just not going to deal with this anymore. Uh, Jin's not going to deal with this anymore either. He's getting some alone time. He's at the golf course just wailing on... on uh, what's he hitting? Is he just hitting... Is he hitting golf balls? No, really- I, th- I think he's hitting rocks. Yeah. Like, I think... And maybe Jin does not have a... I'm, he probably is not someone who, honestly, considering his upbringing, has played a lot of golf. But you have to feel like that damages the clubs... A bit, and I feel like clubs are in a short supply, but I, I really enjoyed this scene, and we're going to see this in the next couple episodes. Josh, I completely forgot about the Jin Hurley dynamic post-Urchin scene. Like, I thought that was it in terms of those two characters for a little while, but it's really interesting how Hurley has sort of, like, formed a weird relationship with him at this point, where at least, you know, they made a bond to a certain extent, and Hurley is the one that goes to check in with Jin to make sure that everything's okay. I don't think that they would be as bonded if Jin ended up peeing on Hurley's foot. Like, I think that they both would have just been really weirded out around each other. And I don't think they would have talked much. Yeah, I think uh, they definitely would have, like, kept to their separate corners, <laughs> not really look at each yeah, other in the eye. not talking about that. Yeah, never, no eye contact. Yeah, I mean, listen, if they play <laughs> I never, like, game over. <laughs> I never peed on Hurley's foot. Drink. Uh, yeah, but he comes to Jin and, and says, you should try sea urchin. They have more ping. Uh, and he's brought some fishing poles. He says, come on, let's go relax. Uh, but Jin's not talking to him. 
And Hurley's like, all right, you want to be an outsider? That's your business. Hurley, he doesn't know what you're doing. He can't hear. He doesn't understand what you're saying. No, I'm just kidding. Obviously, he understands what he's saying. He just wants to be alone. And also, let's remember that, you know, the Jin wants to be an outsider. From Remember the last time he felt he was part of the group, he ended up getting slung with a rock and got knocked out by Ethan. Uh, right. And he was, you know, railing against the, the group at that point. So, yeah, I think he's wanted to feel like an outsider for quite a portion of time because uh, he feels like the communication barrier and just, you know, uh, him suffering bodily harm at the expense of others is not necessarily worth him investing his time at the group. Yeah, I think Jin's journey towards feeling comfortable around this group is a is a fascinating one. Uh, yeah. And, we're, you know, we're going to get major strides in that direction by the end of this episode that he's going to join the Raft team. You know, he's going to be part of the Roth squad. Uh, you know, he's not a rock god, but he is a Roft god. Uh, you know, and he's going he's gonna to slowly start warming up to certain people, or at least he's going to be in, around other people more. And that's going to indoctrinate him deeper into the group. Yeah, um, to, to the point where I'm pretty sure, uh, you know, when uh, Sawyer ends up farcusing him later on, like, he doesn't sleep in the caves, does he? Doesn't he, like, fall asleep on a tree in the middle of the jungle? Oh, man. Um, tr- I think that that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's going to happen. That's, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, but we're talking about, like, Team Beach versus Team Cave. Jin's like, nope, I'm a free agent. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sleep out in the jungle. I'm sure it's totally fine. Well, I think at that point too, he's like, oh no, I think they probably all thought I burned the thing. So he's just like trying to hide out. Um, we'll get there in a few moments. Uh, let's go to, let's go check in on Said and Shannon. Uh, they're uh, talking yeah, this about week on Stan Watch. Yeah, they're talking knots. Uh, and Said wonders how she knows how to tie a perfect bowling knot. Apparently, it's because she dated a sailor. He said, that's better than what I'd, I'd been thinking. I was worried that you were a spinster with a very overweight aunt. It's a very sad image. Uh, that's funny. Uh, Sassy Saeed, again, he, he is out. But uh, Shannon counters like 50, gray, 50 shades of Shannon yeah. with, uh, hey, you know what? Maybe we could, if I had you in a bedroom with a little bit of rope, we'd make a Saturday night out of it. Yeah, he says, maybe we should get some rope, spend a Saturday night alone together and see what happens. And Saeed is like, yes, into it. Yes. I mean, listen, I do not want to, uh, you know, uh, draw some kinks where there are none. I am like, ca- I'm casting no aspersions. Whatever yeah. these two want to do, go for it. But I can you also imagine. No time, so I just mean, get it done. Saeed built, you know, a budding romance with Nadia while she was being tortured. I'm sure restraints ah. might be something that he's linked to this idea of a romantic affinity. It just, Nadia. <laughs> Maybe that's why. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Uh, anyway, that's going to lead Saeed to Boone in a little while, but we're not quite there yet. Uh, meanwhile, we're going to go to Michael. He's at the raft. He's talking to Walt. You're going to love New York, man. The Flatiron Building, man. That's going to be the best thing you've ever seen. It's like, look, the Flatiron Building is very cool. Uh, but like, that's your first thing that you talk about with New York? Also, I'm pretty sure Walt's going to blow away like a human kite when he gets near the <laughs> Flatiron Building. That thing is like a wind tunnel. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, in a few years, it'd be near Italy. You get some good peats. It's a, there's a Luke's lobster around there. Cool area. Um, I, like, well, I like the idea of Michael as human Yelp. Yeah, I think that'd be good. He probably knows a thing or two. Uh, Walt doesn't really want to hear about New York right now. He just wants to play with Vincent. As we know, Walt is not really keen on the idea of New York, uh, let alone anywhere that isn't the island, to the point that he is going to... I don't know if he's going to give Michael's Yelp review zero stars, but he's certainly going to torch him online at the very least. <laughs> yeah, he's going to flame him, literally. Yeah. Uh, Jack's going to come to Michael. He's very impressed with the progress. They've got the bamboo decking. They've got the fuselage as a cabin. They've got some storage bins. 
Uh, it's really coming along. And Jack wants to give Michael the heads up that there's a lot of people talking about who's coming onto this thing with you. Who's coming with you besides Flipper here? Uh, and Michael says, I've got room for four people, so there's one open spot, which means obviously Michael's going, obviously Walt's going. Who's person number three? And here comes James frickin' Ford, Sawyer himself, bought a ticket on the tub, uh, gave him a cable for a halyard for the mast. Uh, good thing I'm a saver, not a spender, Doc, is what Sawyer tells Jack. Yes, but a fiscally conservative Sawyer was able to benefit from here with his savings account of objects. All right, so we really got into the psychoanalysis of Sawyer last week. Josh, given the events of Outlaws, why do you think Sawyer was so adamant to be one of the first spots on the raft out of here? I think he wants to get out of here. I think, you know, he's 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 gotten pretty much everything that he's been able to get out of this thing. He got spooked by the boar in the jungle. I think he's also spooked by the coincidence with Jack. I think that the events of last week's episode have like made him start feeling feelings, and I don't think he likes that. Uh, so this place is dangerous for him, it's, is what it's becoming. This is a place where he's like actually having to get to know people. It's a place where he can only con them so much. Kate has carte blanche, you know, so his stash is in jeopardy. <laughs> exactly, uh, it's like the thinking man's beam of like, can't get anything from my store if I'm not around. Exactly. So I think that he's just ready to, to rip on out of here. Well, I, uh, I also wonder, you know, obviously he realized that he was projecting Hibs onto the boar when it came to exacting revenge. Maybe he realized that, okay, my method to, uh, you know, be able to sleep soundly at night is not to take it out on random people and objects on this island. I need to get the hell out of Dodge so I can get back and, you know find my peace by actually making good on the the the, the real McCoy yeah. himself. I, I wonder if he thought, you know, it's I can't sh- go around shooting boars all my all this time on the island to help quell my morality. I really need to get out of here and, you know, make good that Hibbs pays for what he did. He's got to take on the T-1000. Um, all right, so Kate's with Sun. Uh, she doesn't like how Jin's been treating her. I, I really think this is a very interesting perspective, especially knowing what we know now of Kate, where what Kate did was say, hey, this is a very toxic slash abusive relationship, and she took action. She killed the guy. She did her own torching and burned down a house because of it. I could imagine why she speaks to Sun here in this way, and you know, to see them sort of foster a close relationship as well. She's one of the only other people besides Michael who knows Sun's secret, uh, but, you know, she is really confiding her being like, hey, listen, I sort of have a sixth sense for when things are not going wrong in the or things are going wrong in the homestead. And I'm sort of getting a sense of that between the two of you. Do you think that uh, when Kate gets off the island at the end of the series, she's going to uh, help raise G. Eon? Because she was close with Sun. She knew G. Eon. G. Eon was friends with Aaron. Kate has is not going to be Aaron's mom now that Claire is back. Is she just is she gonna like step in for Sun? Do we want to make that official? I mean, that's gonna be a little tougher, right? Because I feel like with Aaron, wasn't it? Just oh yeah, because she's just gonna get arrested, right? Well, that and also <laughs> like is. and also wasn't it just a matter with Aaron? Wasn't it a matter of like you know her saying like, oh yeah, I take biological custody of him. Gion is back in Korea and certifiably once Jin and Sun's uh, passing has been announced, Mister Paik and his wife are the ones that will be. 
uh, taking care of Ji Yan, and good luck with Kate. Yeah, but that's when you battles. throw you throw Kate and Sawyer and Miles and Richard Alpert at Mister Paik, and like you don't want to mess with us. We could talk to ghosts. Maybe gonna, that should be Lost uh, Season Seven. Is like they they take on Paik in the courtroom. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Paik in the courtroom is definitely where we're going. Well, that'd be interesting because then they can talk to all like the people that Paik killed. And try to, like, you know, make him guilty of all the various murders he's committed behind the scenes. Ooh, I like it. Uh, we're going to get a little bit more of a peek at that pretty soon. A peek at uh, that. A peek at that. Uh, son is going to say that Jin used to tell me I was beautiful. He was so tender. He was different back then. That's why I haven't talked to him about how I could speak English. We don't know what changed him. Uh, and, and then people are running. People are screaming. The raft is on fire. Uh, and everyone's very upset. We've listened in on this already at the start of this podcast. Michael's very upset. Walt is there. Just like kind of uh, look on your works in despair. Uh, Walter White, Ozymandias, uh, as this is obviously something that he did. Uh, he, he set this thing on fire. Um, and Walt like is trying to fix it because like it's like buyer's remorse immediately, right? Yeah. Like he's like, oh, shit, what did I do? Oh, dad's so mad. Oh, dad's Sand, so come sad. on, Sand, do your thing. I thought that it was supposed to get everywhere. It's not spreading fast enough. Uh, he's trying to fix it. Everybody's arguing. Um, Michael is really insistent that this is Jin. He's saying to Sun, where the hell is he? Uh, everybody's trying to get Michael to back off. Kate tries to get Michael to back off. Jack, too. Michael persists. Uh, Charlie and Sawyer are on board with Michael. Everybody seems to be really anti-Jin here. Uh, Jack says, listen, just because you fought with Jin earlier doesn't mean he tried to burn your raft. But then we go to the caves, and Sun shows up, and Jin's hands are covered in burns. And how'd they get Sun's, burned? How'd they get burned? How'd they get burned? And Sun's like, You did it? Why'd you do it? Michael's trying to get us off the island. And Jin just marches right up to her and goes, Michael? <laughs> yes, it's uh, Job equals Jin in this perspective. <laughs> Michael. If only he didn't yeah. get near the bees, uh, <laughs> then he really would have been in trouble. Yeah, this is, I really, again, a lot of connective tissue between this and House of the Rising Sun. And a big theme that exists across both of these is the rest of the castaways basically accusing Jin of something, you know, he didn't do or his intentions weren't necessarily what they think they are based on just the way he comes across. Uh, you know, obviously House of the Rising Sun, it's, oh my God, he wanted to beat up Michael because, you know, of uh, the uh, maybe racist intentions or maybe because he's been, uh, you know, he walked in on his wife accidentally sunbathing, quite literally. Uh, this one, it's more so like, oh, he burned the raft down. So therefore we must start the witch hunt against Jin. I just think it's really interesting because Jin is someone who, at this moment, cannot speak for himself. You know, the only conduit he has is Sun, who cannot speak up to this moment of the fact that she is serving as a translator between everybody and him. So he sort of is, like, off on an island on his own, defenseless, and his tactic is essentially to both ostracize himself and lash out. Yeah, yeah. He's not happy. He's an unhappy man right now. He's like, I was trying to help, and you're just talking about Michael? Yeah, I, I, it would have been interesting to see, like, where the timeline is and all this as well. You know, was Jin one of the first people to the raft, tried to put it out, got burned, and then ran back to the caves? You know, did nobody see that from our core group? Is that why they accuse him immediately? Yeah, I think so. I would say so. I think, like, maybe he was there and then someone saw him and was like, oh, Jin did it! He's like, oh, shit, they think I did it. And then he runs away. Uh, that, that could make some sense to me. Or maybe he just, like, burns his hand until, like, the first thing is, like, I gotta go back to the caves and wash them off. That water is sterile. Yeah. That's the, that's the water to use. Although he could have just run to the ocean if he wanted to do it quickly. Yeah, I mean, I also wonder, I guess the raft is down by the beach. 
right? So that's where everyone was dashing from the caves down to the beach. Uh, that seems like a pretty big hike, does it not? So long. It's a schlep. It's a schlep. It's a bit of a schlep. Like they're yeah. they're all great runners. The characters of Lost are going to show that throughout the course of the series, considering how much running they do through the jungle. But damn, they're gonna have to all invest in like a cross country uh, team meet after all this if they were able to all make that sprint quickly from the caves down to the beach and Jin back again without like beating a sweat. All right, so uh, let's go to a flashback. Jin, uh, speaking of uh, not quite beatings yet, but we're getting there. Uh, Jin's going to come to Paik. Uh, he's upset about something that happened with this machinery, and Mr. Paik's like, oh, don't worry about the machine, man. Uh, you're, you're, you're good. You're doing great. You're doing, in fact, I want you to be my new special assistant. Uh, I want you to go find this guy. There's this guy. He's got a really cute dog. And a, and a very cute daughter. And that changes in size, apparently. Yes. And I want you to go to them, and I want you to tell them that I'm unhappy. I am displeased. Uh, and so Jin's like, okay, that seems easy enough. And he goes to this guy's house. He's the Secretary of Environmental Safety, Byung Han. Uh, and he shows up. He says, hey, I'm Jin. Uh, and the guy's like, oh, come in, come in. Yeah, 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 Jin. Uh, and he's like, all right, well, I'm here to deliver a message for Mr. Pike. He goes, Ugh, don't do that, please. He don't, goes, ah! don't, and he just immediately cowers. Uh, please not in front of my daughter. Uh, but then... Please uh, not in front of my daughter who's watching Hurley get arrested on TV. He just, yes, there's Hurley in the background. We're going to get to him next like, week. Which uh, is really interesting. I don't know how that makes Korean news. I don't know why that was such a global news item. Well, but- because he's this huge lotto winner, right? Like, so my bigger question is, how does nobody on the island know who Hurley is? Like, I feel like more They were people, all not looking on TV during I that guess. portion, during that one week. No one's been watching TV. Uh, Hurley should be international news. Like, somebody on that island should have known who Hurley is. But I guess not. I guess not. Before we move forward with uh, the Bopo of it all, I do want to go back to the uh, the special assistant promotion because, again, if we're going back to the Quan line here, there I believe from the portion of events we see in DOC coming up in season three, right before this happens is when uh, Jin's mother, the prostitute, uh, tries to blackmail him or at least approach his son and says, hey, give me money. Or I'll, you know, uh, I'll say, you know, who I really am. And that's going to obviously disparage Jin and his father and, and basically ruin his professional career. Son goes to Mr. Paik behind Jin's back and says, hey, just so you know, this is what's going on. Can I borrow some money to pay her off? And Paik says, sure. But just so you know, to pay me back, Jin's going to be indebted to me for quite some time. Right. So my I'm, I'm pretty certain that this promotion only essentially came because now that Paik knows that Jin really owes him something, obviously he owes him a lot considering that he gave him a job in the first place, but now he really does owe him considering that he has essentially loaned him money without realizing it, is when he's like, okay, this guy's going to have to work for the money I just schlepped out for him. Mr. Paik sucks. Oh, completely. This is a gar- garbage person. I'm, I'm trying to figure out like who is the more... Burnsian comparison, him or Widmore, in terms of just evil <laughs> uh, rich men. Yeah, I mean, they're both up there, right? Uh, they're both they're both they they're both lacking a, a, a true Smithers though. Yeah, I mean, I think that he has multiple Smithers. Uh, There's just not like one iconic Smithers for either. Yeah, I think the man in the white suit. I guess that Jin is going to luckily <laughs> save Young Han's life. Is uh, yeah. <laughs> that's but that's the yeah, the closest we can get. We don't really know many associates. Oh, that guy's guy. a badass. That guy's cool. I like him. I like him. He's great. Uh, but yeah, Jin's gonna go and he's gonna deliver the message, and the guy is very happy with the message because it's literally just a message. Uh, he wants to find a way to apologize, and so he takes his dog. 
from his daughter literally like rips the dog from his daughter's hands and gives to Jin. says take my dog it's a championship breed it's incredibly valuable take the dog you yeah. have to take the dog and i'm intrigued by this does does he saying that to like say like oh this is the value of the dog is he trying to assume that Jin will sell the dog that this dog will just get past i think it's like do whatever you will with the dog but the dog is valuable means a lot to my kid obviously doesn't mean money. a lot to me obviously yeah take the dog and uh, that is how bopo came into the to the kwan's life i wonder if uh, bopo felt so sad that he shrunk down for a portion of time <laughs> I think bopo- <laughs> this is a this is a beefy bopo from the last time we saw him from you know again if we're connecting this back to house of the rising sun when we have Jin put the bopo in the box right uh, it's he's quite a small little pup this is about a medium-sized Bopo. He's not going to be at his largest size, but I think compared to the earliest time we track him, there's a little bit of a... It's a basically Scrappy-Doo versus like a teenage Scooby-Doo. Here, let's let's come up with uh, our own uh, version of events that makes everybody look a little bit better. Uh, Jin, uh, before the scene cuts away, uh, says to the guy, look, I'm not going to take your dog. This is your kid's dog. You keep the dog. And so he leaves, and then as he's driving away, he's like, but man, that dog is really cool. I should probably get a dog. And I really liked that breed. Mm. And so he finds a puppy, uh, and that's Bopo. And so this dog isn't Bopo. It just inspires Jin to go out and find Bopo and give Bopo to Sun. All right, here's uh, a different So Jin's version. not a dog napper in no, this universe. Here's a different version. So we have, he's a secretary for environmental safety, right? Maybe the reason why Paik is so interested in him is because Byung Han has perfected cloning technology. <laughs> and he has this, this new edict to clone uh-huh. trees in order to, you know, make for uh-huh. a safer, greener environment. And he yeah. tried it out on his dog. And so we have double bopos. We have bopo bopo. Double, double bopo. And so uh. they said, like, look, I have a dog to spare here. And it's exactly the same dog as the other one. That way his daughter is still happy. He's not a terrible father. And Jin gets the exact same dog, except there's a slight defect in that this dog may shrink a bit. He's a little smaller. You know, like the, the DNA has degraded just a little bit. No major, uh, you know, uh, malfunction in terms of immunity or genes whatsoever. It just makes him seem a little bit smaller. And that's why we have the different type. We have Bobo 2, and that's who Sun gets. All right, I'm down with that. Bopo 2 in the in the Quan household, but just for simplicity's sake, let's just call him Bopo, I think is... Uh, yeah, is, but is we'll easy. say, I, we'll do like Bopo and Bopo Prime. Bopo Prime. Um, all right, so that's the origin story of Bopo. Back on the island, uh, Saeed's going to come to Boone. Uh, Boone! Uh, and he says, I want to talk to you about Shannon. It's very possible your sister and I are going to become more than just friends. In fact, we were just talking about tying each other up on a Saturday night. Uh, and Boone's like, okay, weird. Cool. Uh, uh, you want my blessing for that or what? And Sight says, I, my hope is you won't object. This is a courtesy. I'm not asking permission. Uh, pretty pretty, uh, pretty solid stuff from, from Saeed. Because when he doesn't get that from Boone, he's like, yeah, I just wanted to let you know. Now yeah. I'm out of here. And Boone's like, yeah, okay. Well, you don't get the permission. Saeed, I don't think, is scared of anybody in this group. Which I think, you know, uh, really... <laughs> inflates his braggadocio not braggadocio but i guess just the way he approaches these situations like even when somebody gets up in his face in the last couple episodes he's like uh yeah you might hit me once but you're really not going to, to kick the piss out of me because you know i can take you down like i think that just given his own history and his own uh abilities 
I really don't think that he he feels that anybody is uh, a huge fright or a huge threat at this point, which allows him to approach Boone and basically be like, hey, I'm just doing you. I'm trying to do you a solid. I'm not necessarily, uh, you know, pulling a gin here and supplanting myself in front of you, waiting for a handshake to confirm that you and my sister or me and your sister can do stuff. I'm just saying, hey, uh, bro to bro, look out for this. And yes, bro, Boone bro. Is- yeah, bro, bro, and it's the bro, bro code. And look, Boone is a little callous here by saying like, hey, just so you know, like Shannon uses guys. Once she gets what she wants, she'll move on. When she does, don't take it personally. Don't take it man. personally. But yeah. the thing is, again, knowing what Boone has gone through very recently, it makes sense from his perspective, right? Because what he's describing is literally just what happened to him. Sure. With Cindy, with Shannon. So yeah. it, it would make sense why, yes, maybe... Uh, you know, from what we're seeing and the way that Boone's seeing it are two different perspectives. But considering where Boone is coming from and how he's seen Shannon approach guys both in her own life throughout the past few years that have, you know, really whittled down his bank account and how he she literally approached his relationship in Sydney and then promptly said, let's forget about it. Let's get on this plane and never talk about it again. Let's treat it like Hurley and Jen will treat peeing on Hurley's foot. <laughs> it, yeah. it re- it, I think it shows at least where he's coming from. Uh, even if it's not, you know, the the most welcoming to Saeed. Uh, speaking of unwelcomed uh, announcements, the next day, Jin, as we've said, he's like sleeping out in the jungle. He's on his own. He's gotten into a fight with Sun. I think he knows he's a wanted man. He goes to the stream, and here comes Sawyer kicking him in the face. Kicks him in the face, and he says, you messed up my ride, chief. Yeah, Sawyer for kicks him the, right in the face. For all, the, for all you know, the really fun uh, opening up that really locked up safe that is the great james four that we saw in the last episode it is locked up tight in this one we are unfortunately back to like first eight episodes callous a-hole sawyer in this episode because his only chance of getting off the island has been temporarily destroyed and he is taking no prisoners like he's gonna say it's now straight up lord of the flies yeah that's what he's gonna say as he's walking him through the jungle in a little while he says you're scared aren't you don't you understand scared he says if if you're if you're not you're gonna be bruce it's like, oh, Sawyer, this is bad, man. This is all bad. Yeah, and it's, I, all, it's classic Sawyer, though. And, and it's yeah, it's, it's part Sawyer, and that it's it's him putting up a front while simultaneously, I think there is a bit of like hurt that's contained there that is causing him to lash out. So because he is very emotional in this episode as well, uh, there are a few spats back and forth between him and Jack. And I'm saying thank God for Jack in this episode where he keeps telling Sawyer to shut up and keep his mouth out of this because Sawyer just. He really is fanning Michael's flames throughout the course of this episode. Uh, it sort of basically is like Team Raft versus Jen at this point of like, hey, like you said, you busted on my ride. Uh, you guaranteed a, uh, I had a guaranteed chance at revenge and you essentially sent it up in flames. And now you're going to take revenge for it by any means possible. Um, all right. So Saeed is going to come to Shannon uh, and she's setting up a tarp. She says she's completely destroying it. And he's like, I'm sure you'd be fine to build it on your own. Uh, and uh, Shannon very quickly susses out, like, okay, so you talk to Boone. That's uncool. Boone's, like, totally gotten into your head, uh, and he's being a real Boone hole, uh, and so she's going to storm off looking for Boone, and that actually takes us to sound number three. We're through a lot of the episode. Most of these sounds we're saving towards the end here. Uh, This is sound number three. This is going to be Shannon uh, on the search for Boone, but she finds somebody else instead. Oh, gross. Gross to you, dinner to me. Boone, where is he? Don't know. 
What do you mean you don't know? You two are like jungle pals. Sorry, I haven't seen him. Well, if you do see him, tell him to keep his stupid mouth shut. And if he has something to say, he can leave Saeed out of it and come say it to me. Should my I be face. writing this down? Just, just tell him to stay the hell out of my business. Do you like him? What? Saeed. You serious? Because if you do like him, what's it got to do with your brother? You're a grown woman. Sure, you can yell at Boone till you're blue in the face, but all you're doing is giving him what he wants. Yeah, what's that? Your attention. Everyone gets a new life on this island, Shannon. Maybe it's time you start yours. Uh, he goes full sitcom dad, Josh. Full TGIF. <laughs> with like, Shannon, take yeah. a seat. Let's talk yes. about your boy problems. Yeah. I'm sorry, Michelle. I really shouldn't have said that. I didn't know that that was going to upset you so much. Yeah, well, listen, Danny Tanner would have just blanched the sight of Locke <laughs> digging into a full squab with blood up to his elbows. Yeah. I don't know. Who does who does Locke map onto if the full house dads? Maybe a little more Joey Gladstone. could see him doing uh, a Ranger Joe. Yeah, well, with an orange in his mouth. Uh-huh. He's no- the greatest guy I know. Yeah, I was going to say, like, but knowing Locke, like, Mr. Woodchuck would, like, embezzle his money and run away with his girlfriend or something. <laughs> Can you say a trebuchet? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, so lock, lock with the good advice for Shannon. Uh, maybe you should, you know, move on from Boone. It's all that Boone wants. How much is this because Locke wants to actualize Shannon and help her grow? And how much is it because he wants to get her off Boone's back so that he can have Boone all to himself so he can throw him in a plane and get the plane off the cliff in just a couple of days? Well, I think uh, it's uh, two birds, one stone. And Locke knows how to shoot a couple of birds. So I think he's uh, very he's, it's, it's, it's very easy for him to do. I, I think that it's probably mostly leaning towards the latter. I mean, hell, he did a whole pace-induced hallucination for Boone and let him loose in the middle of the jungle to try to convince him, like, put Shannon out of your life. I could imagine right. this was just a really easy opportunity for him. Locke's essentially, he's not hunting people, but they sort of have, like, fallen into his psychological traps a bit in terms of his manipulation, where he's able to say, like, hey, look, you could spend time with Saeed, and you know what? Screw your brother. And if that makes him a little angry and just forces him more into my arms as we spend more time out in the jungle trying to crack open this hatch, hey, so be it. Uh, It just happens to be a little bit of a fringe benefit. Screw your brother. Oh, wait, that's right. You already did. Ooh! All right, so we get that scene with Sawyer and Jin walking through the jungle, and that takes us into a flashback. Uh, Sun has made dinner for Jin. Looks like a feast. It looks delicious. Um, The phone is ringing. His cell phone's ringing. He says, you know what? Not going to pick it up. No work tonight. And then the house phone rings. Like, okay, if they're calling the house, it's probably a big deal. Uh, And it is a big deal because it's it's the message was not delivered properly. Uh, the the clone the the cloning station is closed. <laughs> the factory is closed. Damn it, uh, Jin! You're supposed to tell him not to clone the trees. Yeah, and Jin cannot deliver a damn message. So now you have to send Smithers to this guy's house. <laughs> and so Jin and Smithers are driving, and Smithers with his his white gloves to handle a ketchup popsicle is putting the silencer on his gun, and he's terrifying. He's like, keep the car running. Not going to be more than two minutes. Yeah, I love I love Jin as a Korean baby driver here. Yeah, you're going to drive the car into a riverbank. 
Uh, and that's going to be everything. And Jin's like, oh my God, this has escalated pretty swiftly. And at this point, Jin has put two and two together. This is an assassination. Um, my father-in-law is a terrible, terrible man. Uh, and Jin beats Smithers into the house and then beats the guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he beats- basically just goes dibs on Byung Han and decides to Farkas him. Quite honestly, I'm very surprised considering how you know, cool and seemingly loyal Smithers is that when Jin does approach him and essentially save this guy's life by being like, I think he got the message. And there's like, yeah, that's okay. Like, I, I have a feeling Mr. Paik would not feel that's quote unquote okay, considering that he got off with his life once. I feel like twice, yes, he's going to learn his lesson, but I think being dead is probably the surest way to guarantee yeah, this, this, guy guy's, this guy's pretty lucky that he didn't just like get beaten in front of his entire family and then just like murdered alongside his entire family. Yeah, like, exactly. That's pro- like, it, it could have just been like a stealth assassination. Instead, it's like a beatdown and then like a full-on assassination of everybody. Uh, but instead, Smithers is like, no, I guess uh, Jin did a good job. The only people uh, that got killed strong. were the poor koi in that pond that Jin threw yeah. in. Yeah, the koi are definitely gone. We lost the koi. I'm not going to... Oh, no, no not, confirmed not, kills. Not Coco. I'm not, I'm not going to take any points away from the koi pond. Um, all right, so then we go... Jin returns home, and we get the other side of this classic scene from House of the Rising Sun. Uh, and it's so iconic, and uh, I, I think it, it deserves to be heard. So let's, let's pull this in for sound number four. So now that we've seen it from both sides, I guess, now we can talk about this scene in full because, God, I love this. It's so good. I love the choice to do this. Already, they're starting to futz with the idea of a flashback. And look, uh, we're not going to go like super off the wall like we do with the season three finale and that game changer. But even stuff like this sort of paves the way for things like the other 48 days. Right. Where you know we're sort of talking about different perspectives, st- yeah, stories that occurred in the past, but from a different perspective, exactly. And I just love the difference between this version in House of the Rising Sun and this version in Ooh in translation. In that, <laughs> in the in the former, Jin looks just completely steely 
callous, just like, I had to do this because your father told me to. And he looks aggressive. But here, knowing what happened to Jin and sort of seeing things from his perspective, especially him break down in front of the mirror when Sun leaves, he's at his breaking point. He's probably riding some weird, like, adrenaline high from beating up Young Han and saving his life, but also a sense of dread, some adrenaline, uh, in that, like, he now truly realizes what work he has to get himself into in order to maintain a life with a person he loves so dearly. And that has to be hard on anybody, especially the son of a fisherman who never even wanted to get into this. And we haven't talked much about Daniel Day Kim's performance uh, in this episode, but considering just how little just by language barrier circumstances uh he has he gets to do on the island he just does such a great job in showing Jin in very very small subtle emotional moments and i had to keep the clip of him you know silently crying to himself in the mirror when he finally looks at himself sees himself for who he is now this is who Jin Jin Su Kwan is going to be now that he's working for Mr. Paik uh, especially after he's washing the blood off his hands. It's very like Macbeth, in my opinion, of like the out-out damn spot of right, he can wash yeah. all the blood off his hands all he wants to, but like the effects of what he did. Again, even though he saved Byung Han's life, he is now permanently marked with having to do these absolutely terrible things. And it breaks my heart to watch the scene, not only knowing what he's going through, but the fact that Sun is so in the dark about all of this, or, you know, So Jin thinks that it's going to lead her to do some things that will eventually, you know, have her make the decision temporarily for her to leave him. Yeah, uh, it's just a great scene. I mean, there's nothing else to add. Everything you just said, I just co-signed completely. I, I think, like, the, the inventiveness of this moment and the flashback of, uh, of of showing us the the flip side of the coin. And these are two of the only characters that, like, we could really do that with up to this point. You could do it with Michael and Walt. Uh, you could do it with Boone and Shannon to a certain degree. But I think that there's just so much secrecy that's already baked into the Jin and Son relationship um, that to have this uh, this you know reverse image of what's going on with Jin, who up to this point has been like depicted in a fairly monstrous light, uh, really humanizes him in a way that's just brilliant. And like this this kind of idea, it's very prevalent throughout Lost. Uh, just great to encounter it here in Ooh in translation. Um, and we'll go from this sound to another. I believe we're going to go right into another sound uh, as Sawyer is going to drop Jin off at the beach. Uh, Again, Michael, bit of a hike. <laughs> bit of a hike michael who up to this point had been wearing like this lime green t-shirt uh which he replaces with his classic orange shirt i think he decided that orange is the better citrus uh he's gonna <laughs> orange he's gonna, is the new beat-up shirt he's gonna charge gin and we're gonna get gin versus michael round two and everybody's uh participation in this is gonna be a little bit different than it was before except for the gawkers who are still just gonna be gawking Calm you down. Burn my Why you burn hey. my raft, man? Calm down. down. And think about it for hey, a minute. Back house, off, Jack. It's got nothing to do with you. Shut it. Look, everyone's going to kill you. I'm 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 going to kill you. What did he say? No, 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 no. You said something to me? Michael? Michael? No, no, no. 
내가 불 지르게 아니야. 내가 갔을 땐 이미 불타고 있었어. 이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이이
All right, so the secret's out. The jig is up. Everybody knows that Sun can speak English, and she starts translating for Jin, who is uh, you know, very taken aback by all of this, obviously, more so than anybody else. Uh, and she's basically saying like he, he burned his hands trying to put out the fire. He didn't run uh, or he didn't do it. He, he, he doesn't answer why he ran, uh, which is not great. Uh, but Sun says, my husband is many things, but he's not a liar. Uh, and uh, Sawyer says, well, how do we know you're not a liar? Looking at Jin's face, he clearly doesn't know that you speak English. Why should we trust you? And here comes Johnny Locke. We'll, we'll, we'll throw it to him with sound number six uh, to, to be like the, the lone adult in the room to break this thing up. How do we know she's not covering for it? Because she isn't. Why would he burn the raft? He's been after me since day one. Everybody knows it's okay. It's personal. But why take it out on our best chance of getting off the island? Why would any one of us block an attempt to get home? We're so intent on pointing the finger at one another that we're ignoring the simple, undeniable truth that the problem isn't here. It's there. They've attacked us, sabotaged us, abducted us, murdered us. Maybe it's time we stopped blaming us and started worrying about them. We're not the only people on this island, and we all know it. Josh. You know what? Uh, when I said he was the adult in the room, what I forgot to mention is that he's like totally covering his own tracks with the fact that he knocked out Saeed when he was trying to yeah. set up a radio signal to get them all rescued. Yeah. And so he totally well, sabotaged their plans. We would never sabotage our own chances of getting on. <laughs> I won't blow up a flame station. I won't blow up a submarine later on. Uh, Josh, I think we found Locke's live together, die alone speech. Oh, it's a great moment. It's a great moment. But, and, and it's very quotable. And we're not the only people on this island. And we all know it. But it's, it is on the false of pretenses and already at this point too you probably imagine that Locke knows that walt did this uh but like at least he breaks up the fight <laughs> yeah no i i like you said like Locke really is the adult walking into like the the room of kids horsing yeah, around he's like such a an opportunist party. too he's like if i if i make this speech no one is ever going to think that yeah, i knocked no one would think it'd be john Locke. he's expressly uh. told us not to do that <laughs> I mean, I also, as as mature as Locke sounds here, I do think that Sawyer's saying, well, how do we, you know, know that she's lying and Locke's simply responding because she isn't, isn't the most sound logic to start off your argument. Like, it builds later on, but, like, he basically starts to speech with, nuh-uh, or not. Uh, right. But I think that, you know, he's... And it's like, not. <laughs> oh, grit. Shannon, let's go. While they're making a speech. Nobody will ever know. I, I think that, you know, like you said, this is a really interesting speech it's acknowledging the threat of the others which we really haven't you know we really haven't decompressed like the post ethan stuff sans charlie burying him in a couple of episodes so it's glad to acknowledge it even though he's also risking his life uh in a manner of speaking going out into the jungle to work on the hatch you know leaving him susceptible to the others but if anything no matter where he's coming from it at least succeeds in the ability that's able to like lead, let these people not tear each other's throats out at least for this portion of time everyone sort of breaks up michael grabs walt and pulls him away uh son tries to grab Jin, but Jin is not having it whatsoever yeah he walks away he walks away uh everybody breaks up everyone's just gonna agree to like be unsatisfied about this is like the the decision that everybody makes uh michael's very upset and he's like freaking out and walt's there watching it all and this is where i give mike mike i give michael a lot of props here uh that like he reins himself in he apologizes for having an outburst. He sits down in front of Walt. 
He says, we all have setbacks. God knows, man, that's just life. We'll start over. We're going to build a better raft. It's going to be okay. And Walt wants to help. And Mike says, no doubt you can help. And this is great. Get a little, what, get a little fist bump. Incredible progress from Michael Dawson here, I think. I agree. And that earns it back a little bit of credit in my book. I think it also just shows Michael's character. Again, we talked a lot during special about how he might be one of the most tragic characters in Lost. But what we know about Michael is that in the face of adversity, he always sort of encounters things with a sense of optimism. It's not optimism like everything's going to get better. I mean, he's a construction worker. It's him saying, okay, well... I have raw materials in my life. Let me build something better. Even if right. it gets torn down, I'm going to rebuild something bigger. And at stronger. least before Walt gets taken, yeah. like, you know, there's a, I think there's like a very distinct uh, difference between who Michael is now versus who he's about to become. Yeah. So I agree. I think that Michael leaves a better taste in our mouths from this scene alone than if it had just ended with him leaving after the fight. Does it make up for, you know, him leading the witch hunt against Jin? I don't think so, but no, I think it definitely, not. it helps at least his relationship with Walt where even though, you know, Walt may not necessarily want to visit the Flatiron building, he does want to help his dad rebuild the raft, at least. All right, Michael, guide us uh, through through this next little bit here, because Sun and Jin, they're going to go back to the caves. Uh, he's going to start moving to the beach. He's not talking to her. Silent treatment. No, 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 no. I can't hear you. Uh, and, and she wants to know why he didn't uh, tell her about not burning the raft. What did I do to deserve this? When did we stop talking? Uh, and this is when she's going to start screaming at him, I was going to leave you, and... Uh, it's 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 very upsetting stuff. And I know that we've got a sound pulled from here. There's also a flashback in here. How do you want to guide people through what we're about to get into? Yeah, so this is essentially the island-based stuff in the sandwich. We're going to have a little bit of fish in the middle with Jin and his father that I think I want to take down piecemeal. But Sun does ask a question. She asks Jin, uh, is it too late to just start over? And I feel like it would be proper to put in Jin's response of, it's too late, followed by just the absolute heartbreak and music, or sometimes lack thereof, that comes when Jin both literally and figuratively, walks away from Sun for at least a portion of time. They'll come back together during Exodus Part 1, but this is really going to be uh, the split of the Quans momentarily. So this is going to be all the Quan-related stuff going on at the caves, both before and after the flashback. It's one girl. My name is my own. 어딜 가게요? 해변으로 가게요? 우리 관계를 이런 식으로 정리하고 싶어요? 뗏목에 대해서 왜 나한테 사실을 말해주지 않았죠? 대답하기 싫어요? 나한테 이런 이유를 모르겠어. 내가 뭘 잘못했는데. 우리 언제부터 이렇게 대화가 안 됐어요? 
ship has been burned josh oh they burned to the rat they, they can rebuild it it'll be stronger yeah but again through keeping secrets because Jin's whole mission now is like i gotta get off this island so i can save sun she doesn't deserve any of this she learned english because she couldn't stand being around me because i've been a horrible person just like say that man like just, just talk guys but they can't talk marriage is complicated love is difficult requires constant maintenance much like a raft uh, and, uh, yeah, this, you know, it's going to get us to some good story stuff. It's also very sad to watch and it's just very beautiful. Uh, it's going to lead to a really amazing ending of this episode. Yeah. Son, uh, son going to English to say, you know, I was, I was going to leave I was going to leave you. Uh, yeah, it was, it's, it's so, it's I mean, Yunjin Kim is so freaking good, so good as well. Like, She's so good. You just hear the heartbreak in her voice. I know people ask like, oh, why did son go to English if Jim wouldn't understand it? But it's sort of, I, to me, it's a moment of frustration like, it's not about him in that moment. It's about her finally vocalizing it when, yes, she's sort of been talking behind the scenes with that interior decorator who was not an interior decorator. But really, she hadn't told anybody that she was going to leave him and sort of like how she was swayed in staying when she saw him in that line and he flashed that white flower and she was suddenly reminded of the man she fell in love with. And I think this was almost therapeutic for her to just sort of scream this into the wind, even if he didn't understand it. And look, he wasn't listening to her in Korean why not just speak in English? She knows she, he definitely won't hear her that way. And yeah, I really like what you're saying with, yes, again, on the surface, it could be like, wow, Jin's such an asshole. He feels so, you know, betrayed and pissed off that someone's speaking English uh, without, you know, him knowing that he decided to walk away from her. But I do think a lot of this is rooted in Jin's speech to her in Exodus about how he feels like he's here because he's being punished. Being punished. And, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's too late is not a reference to, oh, it's too late between us. I think it's, it's too more, late for me. Exactly. I think it's like, well, I this is my hell. I'm paying for the sins that I committed, even if it was for a good cause for us to be together. That doesn't matter in the eyes of whatever powers may be. I can't be forgiven for those sins. So I need to separate myself for you so that you're, you know, you're you are not dragged down by the weight, the anchor. That I am. You need to be able to float on these waters and continue on. I am a sinking ship right now. No, don't talk about sinking ships with Jin and Sun. Uh, yeah, exactly. I'm a sinking freighter. Uh, so I'm just <laughs> going to dive into the water. Sinking submarine. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so many sinking boats. So many bad things happen around boats and Jin and Sun. Yeah, well, there's that one time when they uh, sail around to the statue with Saeed in the beginning. Yeah, but of then she three. has to kill somebody. Yeah, that's it's true. still not great. <laughs> but it's a badass moment for Sun. So at least there's there's yes. that sort of icing on that not so tasty cake. But yeah, I mean yeah. it's it's one of those things that just it's so tragic. Like you said, had they just sort of hashed things out in whatever language right there, right then, you know, I think Jin is also making a lot of assumptions on on finding out that Sun is speaking English of like, hey, if this is true, then what else is true? What else should she be keeping from me? I mean, he's he does have the plan. Uh, that we're about to talk about with his father of actually living in America with Son. But you'd have to assume that if I'm Jin and I hear that she came up with that plan on her own, 
what ideas did she have for what she's going to do? And how does that not involve me? Like, I'm not going to say that anger and frustration is not involved in Jin's decision here. I just don't think it's the main driver. Uh, let's talk about Jin's dad, because this is the flashback that's in the middle of the sound that we just played, where Jin goes back to his father's fishing village. We find out that his father is still alive. Jin's wearing these sunglasses that are like the exact sunglasses I used to wear in high school, and I thought were so cool. It's like, wow, that was really early 2000s. Uh, and he goes to his dad, and he's like begging for forgiveness, and his dad is just the best daddy. Where it's like, forgiveness? No! No way, man! You're the best! Oh, Jin, it's so great to see you! What a good world we live in! Ugh. You're my son! You could do anything bad, and you would still be the best. Oh, God. Uh, everything about you is so great, Jin, and I'm just so proud of you, and I don't care that you didn't invite me to your wedding. How was it? Was it great? He's like, yeah, it was pretty good. Oh, I'm so happy to hear it. Uh, what's going on? What's wrong? It's like, ah, oh, there's some bad stuff. I've got responsibilities. It's like, nothing's more important than you and your marriage. Go to L.A. L.A.'s cool. Go, go, go hang out in North Hollywood. Go to Studio City. Just go go to the beach. Wow. Go to L.A. Save your marriage. It's Didn't realize Mr. Kwan was so adept in L.A. culture. Yeah. I've been. It's great. You're going to love it. <laughs> I had a picture next to the Hollywood sign where I was pretending to lift it up, but really it's a it perspective was, thing. It was great. Much like this episode. Much like this episode. Ooh, in translation. Uh, uh, and Jin Sad is just the best like, i don't know there's nothing like really like serious to say other than like it's so refreshing to have like one good dad on the show well, <laughs> one like really pure father figure on the show there is some serious stuff to say i think that Jin's approach to his father is so great because i mean i'm assuming that to keep up pretenses Jin has not seen this man in a very very long time and that leads Jin to have his second breakdown of the episode where he cries right in front of him how ashamed he is uh and just you know the fact that he had to obscure the truth about his father's not come across in shame but like you said mr kwan is just an all-around incredible person i mean let's remember his backstory jin might not even be his biological son this prostitute that he was knocking boots with had a child and left the child with him and mr kwan raised him as if he was his own like, the fact that he's still able to treat him with this amount of regard and love is incredible. Also, to be said, that what Mr. Kwan tells Jin is, yes, go away and never see me again. That's crazy. I would feel like many parents would understandably be a little bit selfish and be like, I can't not have you in my life. You know, I know that you would want to go on to a better path, but if it means me never seeing you again, I don't know about that. But Kwan, Mr. Kwan's all about, like, listen, you need to save your marriage you go and never come back. Like, this is an incredibly charitable person. It might make him one of the, unfortunately, one of the biggest doormats in the entire series. But my God, like, he, he should get all the points in the world. Like, I just want to give him, like, an invisible point each and every week on Down the Hatch. I think this is the only time we see him in I think we series. see him one more time. One more time. We'll get one more. Um, one more shot. Yeah, one more shot. But I sort of want to give him just, like, a ghost point, like an in-memoriam. He's not <laughs> dead, but just, like, acknowledging how good of a person Mr. Kwan is, because he is delightful. He's the best. He's king king of the daddies. <laughs> the daddy king. Congratulations. Daddy king we Kwan. give you a crown made of carp. Made yes, of, made of killed koi in honor of how king good of a daddy Kwan. you are. Daddy king Kwan, for sure. Uh, just the Just the best. Uh, and I and I hope maybe this is what what's to be hoped uh, that that son's mother who seems pretty great 
uh, and Jin's Jin's father. Are you hoping for a Brady Bunch yes, scenario? I am, and that Mister Pake is just left out. Oh, in the cold. and then Bopo can be Tiger. Yeah, and Bopo can hang out with them, and they've got Yian. That's a happy Quan ending for sure. Yeah, Jin and Son get to live on in the form of their father and mother. I love also a, great. this this Tabula Rasa concept comes back. It's been rearing its head for the most of season one, but it really comes back here. We're about to see it with Saeed and Shannon, vocal- Shannon vocalizing what Locke taught her about a new life on the island. But even Mr. Kwan is like, you are my son. It doesn't matter what you've done. And Sun's also imploring Jin in this moment of, you know, I want to start back at the beginning. And I think as much as Jin is sort of taking his father's advice to run away in the moment once you've returned that watch to L.A., keep on keeping on, go to Albuquerque, what the- whatever the hell you want to do. It does seem like from his own perspective, he can't move on. He's still standing outside that church with Ben Linus uh, from that perspective. And that's what I love about that theme, too, is how much people take this concept of a new life. You have someone like Locke who has really breathed into a new skin, into a new set of legs, and really lived up to what he thinks is his potential. Someone like Kate is trying to make herself an entirely new person based on the fact that nobody knew who she was uh, before the island. But then you have someone like Jin, who has a lot of moral attachment to why he's in the situation that he's in. And we're going to see that from Hurley next episode as well. And it's really going to inform their actions and that they feel like why they're here is a direct correlation to who they were before going onto the island, not the opposition. So Syed and Shannon are going to make out. First kiss, FK. Uh, F- between... FK, I think. Oh, no, I was going to say we had a uh, Kate and Sawyer locking lips, but I think this is the second FK between two main characters on lock. F- FK between Syed and Shannon, at the very least. Uh, she's tapping that, as Anna Lucia would say. We're tying that. Yeah. And he says, what's that for? She goes, everyone gets a new life on this island. I'd like to start now. Get the ropes. <laughs> oh, and it, like I, I can imagine Saeed doing like a Bugs Bunny, like stands up in the air and like his tail's swinging around and his eyes are buzzing. Habita, habita, habita. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. And then he melts into uh, a puddle and Shannon collects him. All right. So they're they're dating. It's cute. Very cute. Um, all right. Let's talk to let's talk to Locke and Walt are going to have a conversation uh, busting out the backgammon. So many games in this episode. Backgammon, golf is back. Uh, but Locke is going to... Rock'em, sock'em gonna... robots with Jin and Michael. <laughs> yeah. Locke is going to come to Walt, and we're going to get... Uh, we're going to find out who torched the raft. Got yourself an opponent? Harley owes me $83,000. I told him I'd give him a chance to win it back. It's been a while since you and I played. I don't have $83,000. That's okay. Where's your pop? Down at the beach, I think. Not allowed to leave the cave after dark. You have a dad? Everyone's got a dad. Is he cool? No. mind if I ask you something? Sure. Why did you burn the raft, Walt? Don't worry, I'm not going to tell. You must have had a really good reason.
to move anymore. I've been moving places my whole life. I like it here. I like it here too. Walter started the fire! Walt! Why did you burn the raft? Your excuse isn't good enough. You burned your dad's raft. Yeah, and you could see, I think he regrets it too. Like like you said, he likes, he threw Pick this- anywhere in the world. Just move, new, go see the Flatiron Building. You'll just move to New York and you'll stay there and you'll love it. I, uh, you don't, you're gonna, you don't want to move anymore, so you want to stay on the island that has no kids? Maybe he wants to be the only kid. He likes the attention. Oh, he's like Kevin McAllister. I made my parents disappear. <laughs> I made my parents' wrath disappear. <laughs> I made my whole family disappear. <laughs> By burning it. <laughs> By burning so, them. So here's a question. Uh, Walt. We know Walt's ultimate trajectory, that he is going to end up coming back to the island. And we've talked about how Walt may have the capacity to, due to the weird electromagnetic stuff going on over the island, is able to sort of transcend space and time occasionally. Do you think it's possible that Walt knows that he's going to end up on this island? And so the whole, I like it here, is maybe less about the month or so that he spent mm. on the island, but more so like, I know I'm going to come back here. And, I like that. And so I might as well, you know, that's this is where I want to spend my time because I know it's where I'm, I'm going to end up. Hey, just like senses that this is his place. Exactly. There's more to be done here. I like that. I'm into that. Yeah, I think that's good. And especially because Locke responds, I do too, which is a very similar sentiment, right? That's one reason why he keeps sabotaging the effects to get off the island and then simultaneously saying, let's not sabotage the effects getting <laughs> yeah. off the island. He, he likes I'm it I'm just surprised that Locke doesn't say to Walt, Walt, you want to know another secret? Yeah. I knocked out Saeed several episodes ago. What if it's just every time they play backgammon is just like a dish sesh where they spill the yeah. tea about all the stuff they've done? Yeah, I think that'd be good. Uh, Locke and Walt have a talk show. Sounds like a good idea to me. Uh, I also great love, scene, though. Great scene. I really enjoy it. And like they said, like it's been a long time since. We, I mean, we you know Locke was teaching Walt how to throw knives a few episodes back, but we haven't had a big backgammon sesh. Uh, I do love Locke talking about how uncool his dad is. Uh, he was thinking something very differently in the flashbacks in Deus Ex Machina, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, the episode ends with a great montage. We won't play it right now. We'll close out the podcast with it. Um, but it's this is one of the reasons why this episode is so great. Uh, it's Delicate by Damien Rice is playing. Jin's going to come to Michael with like a, a ton of bamboo. He's going to say, boat. They're finally going to start working together. They're going to work on the raft together. Uh, Hurley's playing the CD player. We're going to see Shannon and Saeed being very cute together. We're going to see Charlie with Claire. They're very cute together. The music's going to crescendo as sun lets the cover off and she goes back into the ocean with her bikini on now that she's free from gin uh, or at least she is able to express herself however she wants to right now uh, and then the cd player eventually stops at a beautiful part of the song and it's a it's a it's a very it's it's just a wonderful montage but it's also just another example of lost doing a great job setting its own self up right like getting ready for the next episode numbers uh where we're going to be talking about hurley and his terrible luck uh (laughs) that he's you know that the fact that like the cd player runs out at this exact moment sucks uh but that's hurley in a in, in a nutshell uh so they just they do a really really great job of setting that up here i just love the ending to in translation so much yeah it sucks that this is sort of going to be r.i.p musical montages considering that now we don't have hurley's literal soundtrack to make it you know diegetic but 
The final song that we hear, that Hurley hears, is, as you mentioned, Delicate by Damien Rice. If you look at the lyrics, they're super interesting. They essentially they describe a relationship between the subject and the person that they're refer or the the singer and the person that they're referring to about how you know we're very intimate in our private lives, but uh, you filled my sorrow with the words you borrowed. And I wonder if that's sort of a reference to Jin's feelings towards Sun that you know, hey, you've taken words that weren't yours and you've been you know making a, a secret life with them, and despite us being intimate in our private affairs, that's why we can't work out in public. It's a really interesting note to end on, and like you said. You know, we see a bunch of other couples coming together, but Sun is tearing away the shroud of Jin and is sort of embracing her new freedom. Granted, she'll be very remorseful in the next few episodes about her breakup with Jin. I wouldn't say breakup. I guess their schism at the moment. I also love the CD player not running out, not only because, like you said, it sets up beautifully Hurley's bad string of making his own luck in the next episode, but also that was really the last connection we had to the modern world. And it's gone. It's dead. Sawyer's words about, you know, we're in Lord of the Flies time now is super prophetic. We saw the actions of it this episode and the way that people formed a mob against Jin based on miscommunications. And now the last sort of bastion, the last connection to who they were before the island is now... Bastion? Yeah. <laughs> Moonchild! Oh, maybe that'll be the, the <laughs> name of the other Bopo dog. The mysterious third Bopo dog is Moonchild. Uh-huh. But... Yeah. You know, now that the the last connection to the modern world is now gone, they're officially on their own, and they're making their own society, and it is not exactly going to be the way things were in the real world. To quote Sawyer once again, they're in the wild. They're in the wild. They're in the wild. All right, and we are out of uh, the jungle. We're going to go into our others section momentarily. But before we do, Mike, let's take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode, our friends over at CBS All Access and the new season of Kevin Williams' Tell Me a Story. Uh, and, and Mike, uh, there's so many great fairy, fairy tales that we've experienced growing up. Uh, and I don't know if it qualifies as a fairy tale, but we just evoked the spirit of the never-ending story. It just makes me think about uh, that great podcast we did once upon a time, talking about Falcor and Atreyu and Artek. What a great time that was. Yeah, really. Uh, I think Michael could learn some lessons from someone like Falcor when it comes to you know how to treat a child. And Walt could learn some lessons as well from uh, Atreyu in terms of, I don't know, how to not destroy property. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So if that kind of fantastic fairy tale t- uh, storytelling sounds interesting to you, then I'm sure you're going to love Kevin Williamson's Tell Me a Story, which takes the world's most well-known fairy tales and reimagines them as a dark and twisted psychological thriller. It's exploring an entirely new set of characters. This season is going to feature three legendary stories, Beauty and the Beast, Sleeping Beauty, and Cinderella. Uh, it's streaming December 5th exclusively on CBS All Access. It stars Paul Wesley, who's best known for his role opposite Ian Summerhalder in The Vampire Diaries. Ooh. So a little bit of that, a little bit of Hope that Hope he went to him for his there. blessing. I hope so, too. Uh, Carrie Ann Moss from The Matrix and Jessica Jones is also a part of this, as is Ika Darville, also from Jessica Jones. Matt Loria, shout out to Friday Night Lights. A really great cast involved in this. This new season was shot on location in Nashville, which means there's original music that's woven into the story. Speaking of beautiful music in television, Mike, uh, so you're not going to want to miss that here on Tell Me a Story. Uh, If you sign up today for CBS All Access by going to cbs.com slash post, you're 
going to get your first week of CBS All Access for free, and you'll be able to stream the new season of Tell Me a Story uh, starting December 5th, so that's streaming now. CBS.com slash post to get your first week of CBS All Access for free. All right, Mike, shall we get into the others? Yes, uh, because I know what other number one is, so I'm very excited yes, for it. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, and I am too. Uh, so the, the Red Sox stuff. Is Jack a Red Sox fan? Absolutely. Absolutely. We've gotten a lot of great <laughs> feedback from people over the last couple of days uh, weighing in on uh, my question, is Jack Shepard a Red Sox fan? And this was a no-brainer to everybody but me. Uh, so this is great. I love this. Uh, learning something new about Lost every time you go through. I had always just assumed that Jack was a Yankees fan uh, and was uh, thumbing his nose at the Red Sox. Uh, but I love Jack as a Red Sox fan. This is fantastic. This is from Spencer Y, uh, who writes in and says, after Mike's debacle on the Hearts and Minds podcast where he didn't know what a winner was in tennis terminology. I'm happy to say that Mike is correct when he surmised that Jack Shepard is a Red Sox fan and a self-deprecating one at that. Uh, Kyle Murphy points to season four's Something Nice Back Home uh, where Jack picks up a newspaper in the kitchen of Kate's house and reads the newspaper article, Yankees bludgeon Red Sox in series sweep, and Jack says damn A-Rod under his breath while reading the article. So clearly Jack is a Boston Red Sox fan. Uh, and even in the Lost Encyclopedia, it mentions uh, Jack's pastimes. Uh, one of his pastimes is being a Red Sox fan. Uh, that's coming our way, according to Daniel Brennan. And then, of course, the scene in uh, the Glass Ballerina yes. uh, where where Jack sees the World Series play. I'd always just took that as like a sign of him like seeing the world back home again. Uh, it never landed on me uh, of, of him being a Red Sox fan. Now it's going to land with so much more authority when we get there. So I love it. It's great. I'm happy to be wrong on this one. I'm thrilled to be wrong. Jack Shepard is a Red Sox fan. And maybe, just maybe, my wife will like him a little bit more now. <laughs> and listen, now it makes a lot of sense as to why Jack doesn't really understand the monster. He's used to green monsters, not black ones. <laughs> That's it. That's right. Yeah, it's different. <laughs> totally different. Uh, other number two still stemming from last week comes our way from Eric Divestein, uh, who writes, is it possible that it was Kate, not a boar, that trashed Sawyer's camp and peed on his shirt? Oh, God! <laughs> Perhaps in retaliation for hitting a little too close to the mark in their I Never game. She could easily have been lying about the boar tracks, and Sawyer would be none the wiser. My alternate theory is that it was Locke. <laughs> but I can't think of a plausible motive. Uh, well, Locke likes to play games with people. <laughs> Ooh, uh, let's play a game, Walt. Let's play pee on everyone's stuff. You like to yeah. put like, things on fire. Let's put it out in a certain way. Yeah, Listen, it's, a it's a game I like to call secret pee-pee. <laughs> I'll make that in my headcanon just because uh, I did not earn complete redemption because I had quite a number of people coming after me for me giving Locke an LVP point last week for his creepy story. Yeah, I think that he that was uh, not earned. I think that that lock is uh, that was great. I love it. But if he pee peed on Sawyer's shirt, yeah, then, then he and, deserves and blamed the it on point. a boar. Yeah. That's messed up. That's messed up. That's messed up. Um, let's go behind the scenes on ooh in translation. Uh, other number three from the Ben behind the curtain pointing out that yes, in House of the Rising Sun, Jing brings Sun a puppy, but it's fully grown by the time he comes home with blood on his hands. Here we see how Jin got the puppy, and he must have returned with the blood on his hands within a couple of days because Bobo clearly grew very fast. Well, don't you worry, Ben Martell and everybody else. Mike and I cracked the case yep, on that one. Absolutely. Cloning, cloning facility. Though I do also Done. like this idea that Jin picked up the dog, just drove around for a couple days, like didn't go home, just had blood <laughs> in his hands the entire time, regretting what yeah. he did. And then finally, when he had the wherewithal to go home, the dog had grown up just a little bit. 
Other number four, found in translation. Uh, I know that you had asked, what did Jin say to Michael during the fight scene? Uh, we've got a source on that. Uh, Jin said, I didn't start the fire. When I, got, uh, when I reached the boat, it was already on fire. I tried to stop it. That's what happened to my hands. Uh, we still have to reveal the winner of the Lindelof Volume 1. But for the Lindelof Volume 2, if somebody wants to record, we didn't start the fire with the lyrics of, I didn't start the fire. When I reached the boat, it was already on fire well uh, i don't know I if our intrepid host casey Kasem would play that i don't know <laughs> if it would get past his own screeners yeah that's it's 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 banned from the wand off which is on yadis uh for the lindelof uh it can fly oh, that it is fly. that is super tragic because i yeah. thought initially that the way Jin was speaking to michael is very like i don't know it's very terse and almost very confident it made it sound like yeah you won't hit me like I know you like my wife, but she's mine. But no, he's legitimately trying to explain himself. And Michael just keeps on punching him. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's very sad. This is a very tragic story we're talking about this week. Yeah. But there's a dog in it. Multiple dogs, according to our logic. Mm, multiple dogs. All right, let's get into feedback for ooh in translation. Uh, other number five. Some people questioning uh, the the per- the person who's actually responsible for burning the raft. Fitzy says that he had totally forgotten that it was Walt who did it. Should it have been Locke? Uh, Eric Divestein adds, so Locke didn't burn the raft, but why not? And do you think he would burn the next raft if not for the security guards? He hasn't hesitated to take extreme measures to prevent rescue before. Um, that would help explain to me why Locke like, diverts the attention of everybody as to who burned the raft and why he covers up for Walt, why he doesn't out Walt. Maybe because he's not so mad about it. So this is actually pretty great. To go back to Fitzy's question about why it was Walt who did it and not Locke, I wonder if we talked about this during special, if we sort of put ourselves in the minds of these writers who... Did not know that Malcolm David Kelly was going to shoot up, go through a big growth spurt, and summarily have to be written out of the show. They were setting up all these things about Walt being um, a not-too-normal kid, and I wonder if this is a part of it, of like the lengths he'll go to to get what he wants. If he wants to stay on the island, he'll burn his dad's raft and Jin's hands to do so. I wonder if this was sort of a peek into an alternate characterization of Walt that we could have seen had he stayed on the island. Yeah, I think that that could have been fun. There's still there's uh, there is a lot you know we we talked about the the Pake stuff not getting connected and that being a little disappointing. Uh, I'm just trying not to think too hard about what got left behind with Walt. Because normally I don't get too upset about it, but right now I'm thinking about it. And I'm getting sad. Uh, other number six from Lindy Steiner. Uh, how does John know that Walt burned the raft? He's, Maybe he watched him do it. I, I I mean Locke apparently like if he's not if he's not giving speeches to people he seems to just be staring. All the time. Even when the raft's on fire, you notice that everyone's putting it out except for Locke. He's just sort of staring and watching it burn. So he's also, like, pretty adept at reading body language, and I feel like Walt is someone who's pretty easy to read. So I can imagine that, like, he saw the way Walt was reacting, the way Walt has been reacting. He probably has been, like, we don't see him acting super sullen or super suspicious, you know, in between the big fight and the raft being on fire. So... I can imagine that Locke is pretty well onto him, and maybe this goes to show how Walt is not really given a lot of attention by the other castaways aside from Michael and Locke, in that maybe it was so easy to tell, but literally nobody else cared or saw because they were too busy focusing on Jin. Other number seven, Daniel Brennan uh, asks us, what do we make of Locke's speech? Considering he knows that Walt burnt the raft, is he simply covering for his friend, or does he truly think the other's are a threat. I do think that Locke, like, there's probably an element of him covering up for Walt, and, you know, as we said, like, maybe establishing some cover for himself. Uh, but I think he's probably also like, guys, 
let's not forget that like there are other people on the island and we've lost people to them like steve's dead it's scott dude which one is it uh you know like i think like there is an element of that like let's not take our eye off the prize here uh and especially because like i'm gonna be working on the hatch and so i can't be that involved in it so you guys really got to stay on guard with this others thing yeah like i know that you know Locke is going to wind up becoming sort of like a corollary to ben linus the leader of the others and he's gonna have his own sort of involvement with them but at this moment i mean remember Locke was the the big adt security guy uh, a couple of episodes ago, who was really, you know, getting setting up all the garrisons and all the watches around the camp, he's clearly very freaked out by this. Even though he feels inherently connected to the island, I still feel like he does fear the others, like everybody else. So I do feel like there is at least some sincerity in the speech he's giving here. Uh, Phoebe Nugent wrote in about Jin's motivation, other number eight. Um, to me, it seems like fear truly is the motivation behind everything Jin does in the first season. What happened with the watch wasn't necessarily a question of honor. He was afraid of what would happen if he didn't deliver. After fighting on the beach with Sun, he's seen looking at his watch again, just after a flashback of him telling Mr. Paik that Sun is his dream. The thing he is most afraid of losing is his wife. The fact that he's afraid doesn't excuse all of his behavior, but realizing that he is truly one of the most frightened people in the first season changed my perspective on Jin. Watching him transform into someone who is truly brave made him a fan favorite by the end of the series. Jin's loyalty to his father-in-law, even when it's harmful to him, is motivated by his basic fear, which is being abandoned and not supported. He deeply fears being alone and without son, a fear that is greatly compounded by the fact that he is on an island with no one who understands him except for son. Watching him transform into someone who is truly brave made him a favorite by the end of the series. Ooh, uh, Phoebe, you're from, speaking my language. That's Phoebe about Jin. I love that as well. Other number nine uh, really corresponds with that, so let's just hop into it. It's from Dallin Servo, who asks, is this episode Jin's redemptive, uh, redemption episode? Uh, if not, when does Jin go from being the abusive, jerky husband to a fan favorite? Uh, to Dallin, I would say that this is certainly the beginning of that journey towards what Phoebe is talking about, I think, uh, towards him becoming a fan favorite. But where we'll really get uh, a really great moment for Jin where like he's just like, you're just showing up and you're you're being a great guy, Jin Suquan, uh, is do no harm mm -hmm. when he's going to be involved in the birth of Aaron. Uh, and he's just going to play such a great role in all of that. Uh, I think that if, if that if that moment hasn't already started to arrive uh, by the time that Jin uh, is crying <laughs> in the mirror, it's not already crowned at this point. <laughs> You know, I think that like it's it's for for me, it's like when he's crying in the mirror, like I now really understand that this was none of this was something that he wanted to do. Um, certainly by the time that he's got the bamboo and he's saying boat, like I'm I'm really feeling it. Um, but I think that the, the whole the whole role he plays in the birth of Aaron is just uh, magical stuff. Yeah, I would actually magical copy magic. and paste what we said about outlaws last week, where this is not necessarily like the point of redemption for Jin, but it's a step over that ultimate hill. You know where he's got in a in a in a bigger way than for Sawyer. Oh yeah, because sure, yeah, because Sawyer yeah. sort of walks it back in the way that you know he definitely does stuff on Sawyer. The Sawyer lives in the red, right? Like yeah. he lives in the LVP section. Jin's not there. Like Jin's already on higher moral ground than than Sawyer is. So it's going to be a, a an easier journey for him, even with the language barrier. Yeah, and, and that's and that's um, what makes this episode so great too. Is not only the mirror stuff, like you mentioned, but the scene with his dad. I mean, we really find out so much about Jin and where he literally comes from that it really just flushes out this character that we knew little to nothing about because of the language barrier, because we were seeing him through the eyes of other people, even someone like his wife, who you would think is so close to him and knows everything about him. 
we find out that isn't true. And to go briefly back to what Speedy said, I totally agree. And Jin, I would say one of his key tenets in season one is that he is protective, maybe even overly so. And I feel like when you look at the idea of protection, it is motivated by fear, right? It's this idea of, oh my God, there are so many things that can come and get me and the people that I love. So I need to be overly protective to shield myself from that, to almost build a wall so that nothing can tear it down. So I totally co-sign everything that she said. And I think that's one reason why we see his treatment of Sun, especially in that first half of uh, season one, is that I think he is genuinely fearful of not only their new situation, but the situation he just came out of, and from his perspective, might still be involved in, that makes him behave the way he does. Other number 10, uh, Stefan Johnson writes in and says, Sun asks Jin what her father asks him to do. I don't believe that Sun doesn't know what type of person her father is. Should she have more understanding in this situation? Are we going to, uh, is, is it a strike against Sun for not understanding that her father is so ruthless that he is ordering assassinations? Uh, or like, do you want to give her a little bit more of a pass and be like, she knows her dad's probably awful, but that awful? Like, that's a pretty extreme step. Uh, so I don't know. I, I feel like at this point for Sun to know that about her father, I'm sure that, like, she knows that he's terrible. And as you've already arced out the timeline, um, you know, she's come to him for uh, a, a favor regarding Jin, and he came through, and it was, a, you know, it's an ice-cold interaction. Uh, but to know that, like, he's, like, outright commanding people to die... Look, that it's a, to, to like ding her for that, I feel like is hard. Yeah, because we also don't know how at what lengths does Pei keep his daughter. You know, the the thing about these interesting crime anti heroes, and not to say, I mean, Pei's a straight up villain, but like look at someone like Walter White, for example, where you know he tried to keep his family so far away from everything that he did to the point where they were completely clueless as to everything that was going on, even amidst uh, some little suspicious circumstances. Maybe the same thing is happening here, where Paik really wanted to separate family and business, Tony Soprano style, where, you know, he is really keeping Son in the dark and saying, oh, yeah, I bought you all this. It was just with my car company money. I didn't do any sort of shady dealings to get this taken care of. And she was none the wiser. I wouldn't blame her for that. And more so, I guess, maybe give credit to Mr. Paik for being able to obscure the truth for so long. Yeah, I guess he's good at what he does. He's a very effective, you know, kingpin. Son's eventually going to take over, and she's going to be great. But, you know, for now, yeah, he's but it, what he does. It, the plane had to crash for that to happen, though, or else she doesn't have that settlement money. It's true. It's true. Um, speaking of uh, how did things happen, other number 11, Lindy Steiner writes in, why did everyone just let the fight between Michael and Jen happen? And why is everyone so quick to assume the worst of Jen? I mean, it's all about biases and perceptions. Like we said. Well, I mean, I guess they did see him try to drown Michael a few weeks earlier. It's hard to forget that. That was intense. Right. And that's that's what it is. I mean, Locke's going to talk about it in his speech, right? Where he says, okay, maybe it might be personal. I think they're relying on past events. They don't know anything about this guy except for the fact that he doesn't speak English and he tried to drown Michael before. So it's Michael's biggest project. You could say, oh, yeah, it's probably the guy that assumingly doesn't like Michael very much uh it would be the first head to turn and i could understand why they make that first assumption what i'm not a big fan of is the way they decide to just really tear into him vociferously without any shred of evidence about it besides the fact that he had burned hands uh other number 12 uh once again from stefan johnson as someone who's not married i can ask you to stefan writes uh how big of a betrayal is keeping a secret language 
from your partner. Uh, Mike, one of the great pleasures of being married to Emily Fox is learning something new about her all the time. Uh, like when she comes out with just like a secret of like, or like a story that I haven't heard, you know, we've been together for 13 years, 14 years next year. Uh, and, uh, I'm still like hearing like stories from her childhood that I've never heard before and always cracks me up. That being said, if I found out that Emily could like speak fluent Japanese or like fluent German or fluent Icelandic, I would be very, very sketched out. Uh, I would immediately think that she is a spy. Uh, she is some sort of sleeper agent that has been sent to infiltrate my life. Uh, and I would probably go on some sort of downward spiral bender that would certainly end my marriage. Um, how would you react? Yeah, this is a nice what would you do situation. I mean, because <laughs> I don't think it would go well. I think that, that I would be really freaked out. Right. I'd be very paranoid to learn that my wife could fluently speak a completely different language that I didn't know anything about. That would be terrifying. Well, it depends on the circumstances. Like, first of all, I would be impressed. I'm like, wow, you duolingo the crap out of stuff uh, while I was none the wiser. But I think it also depends on like. That's a different thing. It's like, here, I'm going to surprise you. I can speak Spanish now. It's like, oh, that's really cool. Right. You've been working at this for a but year. But there's a difference between like, that and. and uh, I can learn Spanish just in time for our trip to Spain. By the way, I've also booked a bunch of Airbnbs non-area where we are, and I learned <laughs> yeah. how to you know, drive a stick shift for no particular also, reason. Also, I'm leaving you. Yeah, and, yeah. Also, and also, by the way, our marriage is not so good. Like, I think it's honestly all those circumstances yeah. that add to Jen of like, okay, she was going to leave me. She doesn't need her, her to say it in Korean. Like, he makes the assumption that, oh, she was doing this because she was going to leave me. And so I think that maybe on paper in our respective situations, we'd be like, this is intriguing, but not marriage ending. But I think from Jin's perspective, it's, oh, yeah, this is confirming all my fears that I had about this person that I love so much. Yeah, it'd just be, that'd be crazy. That'd be crazy. Uh, oh, my God. All right, we'll we'll keep you posted on if uh, either of our spouses secretly know a language that we didn't know that they knew. Um, other number 13 from Brendan Fitzpatrick. Grade Saeed's flirt game with Shannon complimenting her knot tying fitzy don't shame the knot tying i'm gonna give saeed a perfect score that worked yeah that's the thing is that like he already like they already sort of are attracted to each other doesn't matter what he's saying to her not not to you know uh obscure you know the 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 words that they're saying to each other but like to a certain extent when you feel something for someone like they could say some really weird stuff and you're still like oh i still have a crush on you though so like he could be I don't know. He could be like uh, reciting the Jabberwocky to Shannon and she'd be like, okay, cool. Uh, snuggle with you later. Yeah. The Jabberwocky, eh? I don't know why that was the first thing that popped into my head. <laughs> the Jabberwocky. Uh, right. Yeah. All right. Some father rankings. Other number 14 from Melissa Forziat. Uh, we know there are serious daddy issues on Lost. Could we say that Mr. Kwan is the best father figure on the show? Yes. Already. Yep, yes. Yep. My I don't answer. even know if we need a ranking. He is number one with a bullet that was not yeah, used Mo- in Byung Han. Melissa had uh, an attempt at a ranking uh, of the good dads. Uh, number one is uh, is uh, King Daddy Kwan, uh, Daddy King Kwan. Uh, number two, Pierre Chang. He doesn't have much presence in Miles's life, but he was trying to save everyone. Yeah, well, yeah. Num- I guess he because he didn't have a presence like that sort of makes him a good dad, and that he purposely says like, "No, get away from me!" and all the crap I'm involved in. And number three, she said Char- uh, Charlotte's dad. We know nothing about him, so I'm giving him. The- <laughs> I, uh, I think uh, I I would say. Uh, Hurley's dad, even though he ran out on them, uh, he does come back. And once he's back, he's back. Uh, and he's like really back. And he becomes a really good dad to Hurley. 
Uh, so I think that Hurley's dad redeems himself, even though he gets off to a very rough start. Yeah, I think Cheech is definitely up there. Like, I guess, again, it, your mileage may vary on Michael, but the fact that he right. does so much for his son, does that put him up there? I don't know right. about putting Charlotte's dad in there basically <laughs> by abstention. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Uh, Desmond is going to become a father. He's a great dad to little yeah, Charlie. You could say maybe Charlie is like surrogate father. Yeah. Uh, and, and Jack is like a good, like fake dad in the flash sideways universe. So, uh, all right. Other, uh, other number 15, let's close out here with a roundup. Uh, we've got Jim Fells' music analysis. We're going to keep linking out to that. Uh, I have not had a chance to, to listen uh, to this for, for, Ooh, in translation. It's a, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Gleaned? Uh, there's a, there's a, a theme that apparently gets introduced in this episode that basically only appears when Jim realized he has lost his wife. Uh, where we see it in the beginning of the episode when you mentioned as he's sort of staring down the beach. We'll see it when he talks with Sawyer at the Dharma Initiative in season five about like, how long do we need to keep searching for them? Uh, There is a Kate theme that gets introduced this episode, oddly enough. Uh, It's used essentially for uh, characters sort of starting over. You know, when Michael and Walt are talking about rebuilding the raft, when Shannon tells Saeed, like, I listen to Locke and I want to start a new life. It's used a lot with Kate uh, Kate and Sawyer especially when we get to the infamous polar bear cages in season three. So I guess just general motif of starting over, but it's mostly associated with Kate because she is Miss Tabula Rasa. Okay. Uh, one more dude to add to the pile this week. According to Dallin Sarava, we are up to 44 dudes from Hurley. Never fear. Next week is going to be a big one. We're very close to numbers. So got to imagine that the, the dude count is going to ramp up pretty significantly with a Hurley flashback. Yeah, I think we're, we're getting, we might, I don't think we're getting to triple digits, but I think I'd say, uh, over under 75 dudes to close out the season. This is like when Judd's man count really escalated at that tribal council with Margaret. Uh, <laughs> Dude, I don't I have ADD. Went... I'm just looking for the French chick. <laughs> yeah. Where things just really got out of hand. Uh, and then finally in the roundup, a great tweet from count Jacula this week, count Jacula's rhyme time. Uh, there's a picture of gin that says boat and there's a picture of a, a vampire coat, and there's a picture of a castle with a moat, and then there's a picture of a throat, to which the official post-show recaps account operated by one Brendan Fitzpatrick responded with a goat. Uh, great times uh, with uh, at Jackula account. Yes, Count Jackula underscore count. Really putting the doc <laughs> in Dr. Seuss. Ridiculous. All right, let's get into the 23 points section. I will be awarding three MVP points Mike, you are giving out two, then you're giving out three LVP points, and I am giving out two. The headlines coming into this, Kate is still comfortably in the lead with uh, nine. Saeed is in that second place tier. And then there's a bunch of people in that four spot, including Sun, who's probably going to advance this week. Uh, Claire, Charlie, and Jack, and Locke. Uh, Jin is at two right now. I expect that to go up. Uh, and then at the bottom of the rankings, Boone and Shannon in the negative four. Uh, I think that they're probably not going to move the needle one way or the other. Yeah, I, I would uh, say th- on- there were a lot of points to give out this week. I'm, maybe in a more paltry week, I would have given a point to Shannon for being able to pursue that new life. But there's just so much good going on here, Josh. A lot of bad, but a lot of good, too. All right. Let's hand out our points. Um, obviously, I got to give one to Jin. For sure. I mean, like, you know, he, he maybe he should have said something more effective to, to Sun to, like, uh, defuse the situation as far as it got. But brilliant acting from Daniel Day Kim. And you get new context as to why Jin has been acting the way he's been acting. And it's it's just wonderful. It's great stuff. Got to give Jin a point. Well, let me stay in the Quan family tree, Josh, because King Daddy Kim Quan yes. is getting a point here. 
he's just a delightful man. And he has proved himself to be so selfless and so nurturing over the course of only one scene. I remember that that and the, and the mirror scene were two big reasons why I fell in love with the Quan so quickly when I did in my second rewatch in 2015, just to get a new perspective on the situation. And yeah, he gleans so brightly amongst all the coal of daddy issues that exist over the course of law. So I'm, I'm going to give credit to a diamond here. Yeah, and I'm very in favor of giving him a ghost point every episode from here on out to Daddy King Quan because he's just the best. Yeah. Best daddy for Listen, sure. Listen, ghosts are lingering on loss. Why can't ghost <laughs> points linger as well? King king of the daddies. Because uh, there's there's a lot of points to give out this week. Uh, I'm, of course, going to have to give one to Sun. Uh, Sun is going to have to rise the ranks. She's terrific in this episode. There shouldn't be much in the way of needing to articulate why Sun gets a point. I'm going to give a point. Listen, I'm going to, I guess, undo the damage I apparently did last week. I'm going to give a point to John Locke. Look, he may have had his own motives for possibly, uh, you know, derailing the idea of sabotaging any attempts to get off the island. But the fact that he's able to give such sage advice to Shannon to help jumpstart her relationship with Saeed and also get everyone to stop, you know, uh, going after Jin improperly to sort of turn their focus back towards the others, I think is very admirable. And this is sort of like a little bit of a glimpse into Locke, the leader. I think you see he was more than happy to sort of let Jack be the leader, and maybe except for a couple of occasions, like looking for Claire and Ethan and Charlie. But we're starting to get more glimpses of Locke sort of leading and being a people person and giving away some, uh, some sage wisdom. So I'm going to give him a point here. And he's very effective at throwing everybody off the scent. Yep. You know? It's a very, very strategic move that he pulls off here. Uh, my final MVP point has to go to Bobo the dog. Yes. Bobo, you're so which cute. Which one? So cute. Uh, it doesn't matter. They each, get, a, they the each get half a point. They can't. Can't can't break it up. Uh, Bobo the dog gets a point. Um, all right. LVPs, who do you got? One good scene at the end with your son, Michael Dawson, does not bring not you out enough. of the LVP category. Just because, like... He gets so... He was off the board for a little while. I think he'd, like, he'd cleared out, and so now he's got a negative one. Yeah. Michael's back. And look, again, I can understand his fury. He put a lot of stock into this, but I just feel like everything from butting in with Jen and Son to just voraciously tearing into Jen and suspecting him from the very minute the raft goes up into flames, it's just not a good look when he's ultimately not only incorrect, but the person that he's closest with is the one who did it, and he was none the wiser. Yeah, well, I gotta give a, I gotta give an LVP point to the one who did it. Walt, you burned the raft. Why'd you do it? And you immediately regretted it. Like you gotta think, buddy. Uh, so Walt's gonna lose a point here, which puts him at one. He had been at two. He loses a point. He's at one. Well, uh, these three are we're supposed to be on the raft together. So let him be in the LVP point section together this week. Sawyer, after you know uh, evading the hunt or backing off the hunt last week, was fully on the hunt for Jin this week, and it was. Super aggro for Sawyer. Uh, not a great look for him. And the fact that he was, again, like Michael's uh, rile-up guy is just not a great look for Sawyer this week. All right, so Sawyer's at negative three now. So he is, uh, he's starting to, starting to sink back a little bit lower. Uh, I'll give my, my, second and, uh, my second of two LVP points this week to Mr. Pake because he sucks. Yeah, and look, I think we should give more, uh, you know, just f- theoretically because of what he's enlisting Jin to do, but there will be many, many opportunities to give Paik negative points. Uh, the bad daddies just love to show their faces in loss consistently, so this will certainly not be the last time we see him. All right, you've got one last uh, LVP point. You're not going to throw it on Mr. Paik? Josh, 
It's the return of the Gawkers. <laughs> the Gawkers do suck. The Gawkers suck so much. Like they just let it listen, all happen. I know they they maybe they're sorry for entertainment. When maybe they want to be like Joaquin Phoenix and Gladiator and give the thumbs up, thumbs down to Jin and Michael. But like they're so in the wrong here. And unfortunately, yeah, like not doing well. <laughs> like all our main characters that are standing by the wayside have to sort of share in the points here. It's not just the, the nameless, faceless extras. It's some of the mainstays too. All right, let's get into the 4.2 stars section, the episode rankings, which are still in flux as we are here in season one, to the point that we have a tie right now. Oh, Saeed's intrigued. Yeah, (laughs) we'll see if we can unknot that. Uh, We'll have to call Shannon. Uh, But Walkabout is still just by a smidge in first place over Pilot, 4.16 to 4.15, but tied in in third place right now, uh, two Jack Shepard joints. Uh, all the best daddies and White Rabbit, both at 3.97 with Solitary in the five spot. Um, we got to we gotta put in translation on the board. And uh, for me, I have it at a 3.6, which is where I uh, placed House of the Rising Sun. I think that this episode is, is at least as strong as that for uh, many of the same reasons why I loved House of the Rising Sun. Uh, but but I love the... I love the it's not as powerful of, of a it's not as big of like a twist as finding out that Sun speaks English, but there's almost something more satisfying about finding out that Jin's a good person, you know, that Jin's not an asshole, that Jin's acting the way that he's acting because he's severely compromised and he's in the darkness uh, and he's having a really hard time. Um, and that closing montage is so excellent. I, again, we're going to we're going to play that at the end of the episode here. Um, it's just so, so, so great. This is a great episode of Lost. It's it's hard to find things to knock about it too severely. Um, it's not like an absolute elite episode for me. So I think 3.6 feels fair to keep it in that sort of House of the Rising Sun uh, category um, raised by another. I, I gave a 3.6 as well. Confidence Man at 3.6. Uh, this feels of a piece with that tier for me. Yeah, I think that... This episode just really confirms that Lost just is so good at subverting tropes, especially in this these first couple seasons when it comes to characterizations that, you know, much like we saw with Sawyer, we see now that Jin, who is probably was probably the second biggest asshole on the island from what we saw, actually comes from a very broken background. He's he's sort of broken emotionally, his family is broken, his current family is broken as well, his relationship with Sun, and it really just makes us feel so sympathetic in the moment. I feel like this episode is just such a great job with it. I put House of the Rising Sun as a 3.8. I actually don't think it's as good of an episode as House of the Rising Sun, just because I think the flashbacks are absolutely on par. But I think that the on-island stuff, I am less intrigued by. Let's remember that House of the Rising Sun had the discovery of the caves and Adam and Eve, which was a, a huge big moment and a lot of fun. I can't say that the on-island stuff sans the final montage with the who burned the raft, who done it, is something that really piqued my interest as much as that. But I'm not going to go that much lower. In honor of our great friend Byung Han, I am going to clone your score, Josh, and give <laughs> in translation a 3.6. All right. Uh, our audience average, our listener average is a 3.4. So between your score and my score uh, and the, the listener's score, that's a 3.54 for in translation. Uh, so it's on the other side of Confidence Man. Ooh, in translation is in nine. Confidence Man is eight. Ooh. And House of the Rising Sun is at seven. Confidence Man's in and a then, Quan sandwich. And then Outlaws is at six. So we're going Sawyer Quan, Sawyer Quan. Double decker. I like that. I like that. <laughs> it's a club sandwich. Uh, welcome to the club. Uh, so ninth for in translation, which puts that right above 
raised by another at 10, uh, 3.54 to 3.5 on mm in translation to raised by another. All right. Well, we're at the wrap-up, uh, but before we wrap-up, we do have some Lindelof business to attend to, Mike, and Uh-oh, that do is, I, is revealing... Is it like paint business? Do I need to wear white gloves? No, no white gloves are required. Uh, no one's getting killed, but somebody's getting a hat, a Wombat Station hat. So we're going to reveal the results of the Lindelof right now, and we will tell you the top three. Uh, in third place... With 14.49% of the vote, it was Jeremy Berman with Lost in Here uh, was our third place contender here in Lindelof Volume 1. That was great. It was everything about the early 2000s in that it was a song from Nelly talking about Lost just oozed 2000 to 2005. All right. In second place with 24.64% of the vote. The Wax Shepherds with Dharmaville. Uh, I loved that. Beach Boys slash Cave Boys did a great job with recounting all the Dharma stations to get us in the mood for us getting very close to the Dharma initiative in general coming up very soon. All right. And our winner of the very first Lindelof with a very appropriate 42.03% (laughs) of the vote. Rather than tell you who it is, let's Hear it from the winner. Oh shit, Michael Dawson's ready. It's about to go down. Everybody on this island better listen in. Because I never know where my son goes. I'm yelling it. Let's go. I'm yelling Walt. I'm yelling Walt. Does nobody hear me? Because I won't stop yelling Walt. I'm yelling Walt. I'm yelling Walt. I can't find my son, but it's probably my fault. I'm yelling. Oh my goodness. Colin? <laughs> Colin. Colin Latchford with I'm Yelling Walt with 42.03% of the vote is the winner of the very first Lindelof. Colin, write in to us. Get us your address. We will get you a Wombat Station hat, a one of a kind as it stands. Congratulations to Colin. Yes. I mean, also, very permanent. Like, you cannot work out the timing better, considering that... <laughs> yeah, that Walt <laughs> burnt the And raft. also, that I, it's the I'm on a boat parody in the episode where yes. the, the boat that we currently know has now gone up in flames. <laughs> oh, my God. That's crazy. Do not mistake coincidence for fate, Mike. Uh, Colin Latchford, winner of the first Wombat Station hat. Welcome to Wombat Station Nation, Colin Latchford. Yeah, and, and uh, hopefully, you know... Uh, Desmond was down there in the hat for quite some time, but hopefully we'll have a Kelvin Inman to join Colin at some point. Josh did say the yes. first uh, Lendeloff hat, but I feel like due to the success of both the entrance uh, and the feedback from it, hopefully at one point in the future we'll be able to do another one. We currently have no additional Lindelofs. There are there are no additional Lindelofs, so start making them, start writing them. The next time we've got enough to pull off a Lindelof, we will do another Lindelof. That's how it's going to work. The Lindelof has been triggered. We will execute. We will push execute. When when the numbers are right, uh, we will hit that button and we will, we will hit yet with a Lindelof. Uh, so the existence of a future Lindelof depends entirely upon you out there listening to this who wants to participate. Otherwise, it shall never return again. Those are the stakes. Uh, next up, Mike, 
We're going to be talking numbers. That podcast is going to drop December 13th. Hopefully, you already have your feedback in. By the time you are listening to this podcast, Mike and I have already recorded our numbers podcast. Just looking ahead uh, at the uh, the notes for our numbers podcast. Yes, we're going to have a, a, at, at least a robust others section, if not a full others section, as it stands the day before we start recording that podcast. So that bodes well. Bodes well for us, Mike. I am so excited. Me too, man. Me too. Uh, Very excited I mean, yeah, to get we finally get, This is a great episode. We finally get to get behind the, the whispering that Alex G has put out into the universe every intro <laughs> yes. to Down the Hatch. Just to set the stage from a historical perspective, I mean, understandably, all of us watching Lost in the Moment loved Hurley, right? He's a, he's a big teddy bear. He's a comic relief. He seemed like the voice of the audience. When we found out in the back half of the season that Hurley would be getting a flashback episode... We lost our dookie. We were so excited. We lost our dookie. We were so <laughs> excited to hear about what's the what's the backstory of Hurley. What's we found out so many big surprises from all of these characters. What the heck could Hurley's backstory be? Uh-huh. And it is a wallop. It also introduces a huge part of the lost mythos that permeates every single part of it, even. Up to episodes before when it got introduced, we're going to have a lot to talk about. Bring your fingers because we're going to be counting a lot next episode. Oh, my God. I'm very excited for it. I think this is going to be a great time talking numbers. We'll be back next week with that podcast. If you want to send in feedback, you can still do so uh, for The Greater Good, for Born to Run, for Exodus. Uh, you can still make it in time for the recordings of those shows. And if you miss that cutoff, we're going we're gonna to do a big roundup at the end of the season. So it's not too late. Down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. You can tweet at us at Post Recaps, at Round Howard, at A Mike Bloom. Type subscribe if you have not done so already. Postshowrecaps.com slash down the hatch for our Apple feed, but wherever you get your podcasts, uh, it is doable. Your ratings and reviews, greatly, greatly, greatly appreciated. We will be back very soon with numbers. And to get you into that Hurley headspace, let's close out with some music that the man himself is listening to. This is how Ooh in translation ended. So I just feel my soul.